Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild podcast. Uh, I'm your host, MC, and it has been quite the ordeal for me these past couple of weeks. <sighs> uh, for frame of reference, I am recording this on Super Bowl Sunday, and we'll get that out of the way. Uh, I have no real horse in this race, uh, so I guess I'm a Bengals fan tonight. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but enough of that. Like, it has been completely rough these, I mean, just these past couple of months, number one. Uh, then these past couple of weeks, just adding on to everything else. Like, you know, uh, i fairly certain I have mentioned my grandmother passed in December. <clears throat> it was one of the things I was expected, but, you know, still hard. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, just a little time later, uh, my paternal grandfather has fallen ill and uh, has been in and out of the hospital, is now in hospice care, and my dad's freaking out over that because this will be the first parent he would lose, and we've been going back and forth. It's just just a really awful experience there. Um, and then as well, my great uncle uh, passed away uh, yesterday, and it's just like tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Uh, so I don't want to. I just wanted to let you guys know that's why you know. I haven't been recording as much, you know, as much as I would like to. It's just I haven't had the time, and when I do have the time, I don't have the will. It's just been really downer this whole, this whole business here. So I want to give you the best I have to offer, which some of you are going like, "This is your best." <laughs> you know, just work with me, please. <laughs> so I mean, I I just want to say that I'm. This is one of the reasons I'm so grateful for my faith. And I know uh, some of you out there, I mean, this is not your bag. So if you don't like it, you can skip ahead. I'm not going to be angry about that. But it's just one of those things that just brings comfort in trying times like this. You know, no matter how unhappy I am in these moments, I still have a joy that comes from knowing, you know, security I have uh, when it's my time. And the security, you know, that I have for you know, family and friends who are going this, through the same things. And there's comfort in someone always being there for you in the midst of this. And I just wanted to shout out the big G <laughs> and how gracious he is. So I do believe that's all for uh, the news section. So we'll move on from that to what have I been watching? Well, like I said, it's been a while since I've been able to record. Uh, but I have managed to finish a lot of things see what I can actually remember. Now going through uh, the Ultra series. I'm fairly certain I left off at Ultraman X if I'm remembering correct uh, about that time last time I recorded, which was forever ago it feels like. It's only been like two weeks but it feels like over two months. Uh, X was good. Uh, I'm trying to remember that. They're all kind of running together at this point, to be perfectly honest. Uh, then I moved on from there to Orb. Uh, Orb took a bit to get used to. Uh, ultimately, I'd say I'd liked it. Uh, I enjoyed my time there with that. And then we get to Jido. Or, it, it's uh, Jeed, I think, but, uh, you know, different pronunciations and all that. Jeed was something I, ooh, I really wanted to like it, but it just got into a giant jumbled mess, really. And I was not a fan of Jeed. 
it's just and then we get from there to Ultraman R slash B or R B or however the heck you want to pronounce it. Oh my gosh, you want to talk about a series that I felt no joy in whatsoever. It was Ultraman R and B. Like, oh my gosh, those two back to back were just excruciating to get through. So I kind of wish I could skip over them, but I, I committed to watching the whole thing. So there's that. Uh, but then I have started Ultraman Taiga. I'm only like three episodes in, and it has been a breath of fresh air. Thank God, because. I was really wondering, like, is it worth it to keep going after Jeed and RB? So, uh, that's that. I also managed to finish uh, School Live, which, wow, okay. That threw a huge curveball at me. Was not expecting to love that as much as I did when I finished it. It's like, why am I sad right now? <laughs> this, this series is making me sad in, like, a good way. I mean, you know, in the midst of all this tragedy I'm experiencing in real life, it was, you know actually kind of comforting in a way to go through all of that. Uh, for those of you who don't know what School Live is about, like I would tell you, like don't even bother. Just go straight in you know, without knowing anything about it. And i definitely give School Live a, a big thumbs up. Two thumbs up, I'd say. And then we get to one of the biggest disappointments during this whole time, uh, the Book of Boba Fett. I can't believe I hadn't mentioned this over... The past couple of weeks when I was recording, I just kept forgetting to bring it up. It's like, oh, if you want, mm, I don't want to handle this. You know, Boba Fett in the original trilogy was this mysterious figure in this really cool armor. He had a rapport with Vader. He was seemed to be very tactical and that he was the only one who found out where Han Solo was going in the Falcon. Compared to the other bounty hunters. Uh, like I said, you had that real nice rapport with Vader to no disintegrations, or no, he's no good to me alive. Oh, excuse me, no good to me dead. <laughs> and then you get the Return of the Jedi, he gets taken out like a punk. By a blind man. But then yeah, I'm working off of Legends as well, which I hate calling it Legends, because it should be canon. Where Boba Fett eventually, you know, takes command, you know, starts rebuilding Mandalore, and then the Mandalorian people... Hey, that's the Mandalorian protectors and all that. It's like, I really love that. And then we get to the Book of Boba Fett. So, we start off with, you know, the baggage of this being connected to the sequel trilogy. God help me. Uh, I came to the realization that at some point, there's going to be a point where I stop caring. If they keep getting overt about that. But that's for a different discussion. Book of Boba Fett, on the other hand, it's like, cool concept. Boba Fett, after... Seeing the way he's been treated all these years, seeing how much, like, when he went off for several years, no one really came to look for him, no one really cared. And then remembering all the times, like, he was handled poorly by people in charge of crime organizations. says, you know what, I want to be a crime boss now. And after dealing with the death of the Tusken Raiders that he'd allied with, which, who didn't see that coming a mile away when that first happened? Uh, and then saying, you know, I want to make Tatooine safe for people like this. I'm like, okay, I'm all for that. Until you actually get into the brunt of it where he has an organization of, what, like six people at this point in time? Yeah, for, for a crime boss, he has, like, he has Finnick Chan, he has the protocol droid, the two Gamorrean guards, and the five uh, Blade Runner rejects. 
with their with their mighty Vespas. Like that's a really powerful organization you got there. Oh, and of course Freetown. Freetown. There's so many people in this to help out. It was so small scale for what they were trying to do. It got on my nerves immensely. And then we got the whole well, I want to be a kind crime boss. It's like okay, you can do that, but like you're still doing crime. You can't be like oh well, I'm gonna be the nice crime boss and we're not gonna do anything bad. It's like but then. You're the pirates who don't do anything. <laughs> there was not a lot of crime going on from, you know, the Bubba Fett side of things. And then, of course, there's the whole ordeal with... I uh, had an entire episode devoted to Mando, which I was not upset with Den's episode. It's like, what happens after that really gets on my nerves. For what is supposed to be the book of Boba Fett. You can have an episode based on a character who is not your main character. But not two episodes back-to-back where he appears in the next one but doesn't say anything? And then you have the audacity to reunite Din and Grogu uh, together? You know, in the end of Mandalorian Season 2 is them going away from each other so Grogu can learn. And if that wasn't a test that Luke gave him, which... Uh, I'm sorry, I should have said spoilers a while back, and I apologize for that. That is my bad. If that isn't, if that wasn't an actual test, be like I was going to give you both either way. For Grogu having to choose between the Mandalorian, uh, kind of what was the word I'm looking for here? Kind of chainmail that he'd gotten him, or something like that, versus the you know Yoda's lightsaber. I am very upset with how they're treating Luke in that situation. He's not stupid. And then the whole attachment thing, too, is like, why are you repeating the mistakes of the last Jedi Order? That's kind of one of the reasons why they had to die out. It's like, uh. And then, of course, there's the fact that we're handling this in the book of Boba Fett, not the book of Luke Skywalker, not the book of Din Djarin or Grogu or Ahsoka. It's like, it was just a giant muddled mess. It is a 5 out of 10 for me. And I know that uh, I, I debated putting it even lower than that. But I will say there were a lot of things I did enjoy, uh, even though I'm sounding mostly negative, so I apologize for that. Like, uh, I like the Huts uh, coming in. I like the Pike Syndicate coming in. I love seeing Cad Bane again, even though kind of mixed feelings on the way he went out. Uh, and then Cobb Vamp was nice to see again. It was just, it was a giant muddled mess, and that's really all I'm going to say about that. I've wasted enough of your time with all of that. So we'll get on to on our double manga episode yet again. Uh, amazing how many times this keeps happening. We're going to start immediately with a Yashiman, uh, chapter 10. He did not. We start with a flashback with Urata uh, coming into being again after I think 100 years is about the limit that they normally can uh, manage the physical realm. It says, when I first incarnated into this world, I expected my father, who manifested before me, to be there to greet me. But she sees Hashihime there instead. He explains, I beg your understanding, miss, but your father has become a being of considerable influence in the underworld. Just the fact that you're his daughter would be enough to tempt the unscrupulous to take advantage of you. In the decades it had taken me to incarnate, father had become the face of Kabukicho's underworld. But I promise he will come for you someday. I believed her, accepting her word as truth. Now that I had a physical body, the flow of time slowed to a crawl. My anxiety and loneliness grew each passing day. Those around me treated me like an outsider, 
Hashihime only came to check on me once in a great while. I wondered time and again if I hadn't really been abandoned, but I accepted it as my lot and patiently waited. I spent my time learning about the human underworld so I wouldn't embarrass Father when we finally met. Because I believed he would come for me someday. And we go over to the present where she is in her yokai form and is jumping off with Tin and Maruo. She thinks, Father's death wasn't the only thing I hated. I hated everything. I swore to myself that from then on, everyone was disposable to me. That would be my revenge. And she's going after Hashihime to try and get her out. But she says, why can't I leave them behind? As Dopo attacks him with his fire, tells her she's not getting away. He says, it's better that you die, both for this town's sake and for his. And Tin freaks out, it's like he's taking off his mask. Oh, we're in big trouble now, big sis. Uh, he's told that the Umbio branch is on their way. He says, so what? Even if it means starting on all that war, I'm going to kill that girl here and now. We'll go through the flashback again. And Hashihime says, the power held on this blade is enormous. Were you to release it as you are now, you could contain it for little more than a minute. And it'd leave you so tired you could do nothing for three full days. You must think very, very carefully about when and how to use it. So in the midst of this, uh, Hashihime has come to take the bullet, essentially, for her. Tells her that if she's got to run, there's no time. And Stopa says, Hashihime, don't you think you picked the wrong side to devote yourself to? That girl hasn't inherited, any, inherited anything of his. Nothing. She doesn't know about the carved horn or his end. He didn't hide her away. He threw her away. And Hashihime says, he did not. I swear it. And we get a flashback to where she has said uh, multiple times over to uh, younger Urata. And it says, if you believe that you were abandoned, you believe wrongly. Chairman Keo is a cautious gentleman. He's so concerned for your safety that he doesn't dare visit you casually. If you ever grow anxious, miss, just ask me. I'll remind you again and again. You are Chairman Keo's precious daughter. It says, please believe me and keep your chin high. I promise you that you are Chairman Keo's precious. She repeats it again and again and again. And she says it in the present. Hold your head high. You are Chairman Keo's daughter. Which causes Urara to run away, kind of believing her. And Hashihime thinks that she's being killed. She says, Maruo, I leave her in your hands. Take care of her. She's Chairman Keo's. No, she's my precious, precious charge. And she is then killed by Dopo and turned into coins. Which then brings us uh, to Chapter 11. Aren't we family? So we start with Tin as Urata is running away. Says, Big Sis, you're too fast. His eyes are uh, dealing with all that. <laughs> Just from the, the intense wind. Says, uh, as they're being pursued by Dopo's agents. He says, Big Sis, duck into the Shinjuku Subnade. Quick, the underground mall. And she does so, managing to escape from them. In the midst of this, in the subway, uh, they then fall onto the ground. And she's out of her yokai form. Uh, Urata asks, uh, where are we? And Tin says, an unused subway tunnel. There are tons of them running all throughout Tokyo's underground. I figure we're somewhere under Kana Metro. See, um, I'm a Tenjo Sagari. I can move through any ceiling anywhere as long as the two spots are connected. That's all I can do, though. But, um, I guess that came in handy this once, huh? And Urara laughs. Says, oh, you are quite useful in a pinch, it seems. But then she collapses. So Tin... I forgot about this one. Uh, Tin looks after both of them as he sees Maro's holding out his hand. Says, are you okay? Do you need something to eat? To drink? Manga. <laughs> and then he collapses. 
So uh, Urara has a dream about her father turning away from her, then wakes up again several weeks later. Uh, Tent says he was looking for it two weeks, for two weeks. Uh, he says Big Bro woke up a while ago. He's been reading manga ever since. He does eat though, and he's healing up. Still, what kind of human is tougher than yokai? Jeez. Urara says, you went to all that trouble. I appreciate it. And she sees the newspaper there. And how, you know, that nobody's really discussing anything that's going on. He tried to look for anything for Hashihime, but uh, they're kind of unpersoned her at this point. And Tin says, um, Big Sis, I don't know what kind of beef you got with Kyo, but don't you think we ought to quit? We're up against enemies so influential, they can completely squelch that big a fight in the middle of town. The number of guys they've got, their connection to the cops. The gang world just isn't a place we have any business poking our noses in. And uh, she starts falling down. She says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But she says, she's bowing to them. She says, Marwa, Tin, I owe you both an apology. I'm very, very sorry. I infiltrated Kabukicho looking to avenge my father. To do that, I took advantage of both of you. As Kyo's daughter, I thought I had the right to inherit the Inma Syndicate and to learn the truth behind his death. But that was just all me. That was all just me pitching a fit. What Akari Dopo said was correct. I never knew my father well enough to have any right to avenge him. I just wanted someone or something I could vent my grief on. Some way to deal with the swirl of conflicting emotions that felt like they would swallow me. I got so far on my head, uh, excuse me, got so far ahead of myself, even though I don't have any an ounce of power on my own. Because of that, and he thinks about Hashihime, but Imaruo stands up and sits down and answers a, a, a manga volume. And she asks, well, what's this? He says, mon mon mon, it's funny, read it and cheer up. And don't lower your head that easily, would you? You're supposed to be the boss, elder sister. We lost because your bodyguard wasn't up to snuff. It was my fault. I'm sorry. I came this far because I wanted to. I don't feel like you took advantage of me. Besides, if your dad messed up your whole life, I get that. That kind of thing never goes away. Ever. It's always there in the back of your head, making you all mad and upset. Reading manga helps make it go away, if just for a bit. And he says, but you dragged me out of that pit, elder sister. If you want to sit, I'm letting it in like this. And says, me neither. It in like this. Yeah, sorry about that. Had another little issue with the audio there. It's more on my end. I actually uh, unplugged my microphone by accident. So, my bad. Uh, so, essentially what happened at the end of the chapter is that uh, Murrow got a marker uh, a picture made by Tin of, you know, the, the emblem on Urara's back um, that <clears throat> she had, um, you know, designed with the tattoo originally used by the Yakuza there. Uh, and then they went over against the Todoroki Alliance, and they're now meeting up with them to take them out. So there's that. So Yashimon, uh, really two good chapters here. Uh, some much-needed Urara backstory, fleshing out there, giving Marwo like more of a reason to fight the way he does in the midst of all this. Really appreciated that. And Ten being, you know, such a bro in this moment, definitely really appreciated there. It's just a lot of good. So we'll move on from there to Black Clover. This will be page 321, Excuses. So we start with narration. Why is this happening to me? It's all the king's fault. This is literally hell. A legendary demon, a huge horde of monsters, this gigantic mass of more monsters, and then finally the king of the monsters who just took out all the captains by himself? This is it. I'm dead. There's no way we'll beat that thing as we see Seke uh, panicking on the ground. It says, and yet, and yet, they're fighting it how? As he sees... Uh, 
Yuno going up against him as uh, Mimosa is healing Asta. And Lucifer says, give that brat to me. But then uh, Yuno uses a spell called Conjunction to get him away. In uh, the midst of all that, it, as Yuno is thinking, I made contact, but I can't cut him. This isn't even like it was with Zenon. It's a sheer, simple, overwhelming difference in magic power. Mareo Leona, every single time, I'm going to mess that up. Uh, then attacks Lucifer from behind, because she's one of the few captains still up. But she, uh, she's knocked away. And she's a, glad to see you on the battlefield, kid number two. <laughs> because why learn names? Let's go. And Seke stands up and says, I can move. Is it because of Yuno's magic? But we joined up at the same time. What is he? The four-leaf grimoire? G nah. I just can't speak today. Grimoire and another one? I heard he was a spade kingdom prince or something. So he was just born different. That's all. Yeah. I should just bail with this royal cutie, he says, looking at Mimosa, which I feel you, buddy. He says out loud, let's leave this to them and go. I, Seke, have been acknowledged by his majesty the king. I'll protect you so. And she gives him a glare. He thinks, is she, is she stupid? The monster's going to notice us. Uh, treating that guy can wait, so let's hurry and get out of... Could you be quiet for a minute, she says. And she thinks, I'd really rather run away with Asta right this minute. But that isn't what Asta wants. What he wants is... And second thinks, what is that this guy anyway? And he remembers all the times he had with Asta. And uh, when he was in his hometown, he was basically the top dog there until Asta took him down a butt uh, a bit with you know their original fight. And Mimosa continuing to heal says, I don't have enough magic. The recovery isn't working the way it should. And it suddenly stops, says, Oh, the spell came in done. He's nowhere near recovered. But then Asta stands up, says, Thanks, Mimosa. She says, Asta, you really aren't in any shape to fight. But it says, just wait a minute. She says, I'm begging you, please don't die. Second says, whoa, no, hey, come on. I don't get it. What's the point? You're still completely trashed. What do you think you can do like that? All the captains went at that guy at once, and they couldn't win. And you, you're just a peasant with zero magic. <laughs> Asta has heard in every single chapter of this story. Uh, like it's going to matter if you're there or not. You're nothing. You're just... He remembers all that Asta did, how much he continually made himself better, while Seke did absolutely nothing. He says, he thinks, why didn't I try to get stronger? Like you. And Asta says, I'm on my way. Okay, this is one of the best, I know I was snarking a second ago, one of the best chapters of Black Clover that has been made in a long time. I, and using Seke as the device for, you know, the realization of like, yeah, Asta has done all of this training. He's put all of this work and effort into where he is right now. He has a point to be where he's at. Like, he has earned that you know, through hard work and determination. While other people around him, some of them were emboldened by that, but other people like Seke were like, well, I, I'm just naturally talented, so I don't need to work. And if that doesn't speak to me, <laughs> I don't know what else does. <laughs> I mean... Uh, if I can throw myself under the bus and second, I am second in this chapter. Like there, there's multiple moments in my life when I could have been a lot better in certain things, but because I relied on natural intelligence and, you know, a talent, uh, things didn't go as well as I thought they would because there were people who actually put the work and effort into doing something to, well, they may have not have started off as smart and intelligent as me. They could then be better because they studied more. They put more, like I said, work and effort into everything. So I really love this chapter. I know we have one more Black Clover chapter, but I wanted to focus on this before I forgot about uh, uh, forgot about it before discussing the next one, which is 
uh, going to be page 322, the vice captain of the Black Bulls. And there we go. Uh, so Asta's standing up, ready to go, but he's stopped by Noct. He says, those who can't fight should leave the battlefield. You can barely stand right now. And Asta says, I can do it. And Noct thinks, but aside from Asta's anti-magic, we have nothing that can defeat Lucifero. This is not on your own, you can't. We'll attack together. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, and Mereo, Leona, are still going after Lucifero, but you know, thinks none of our attacks get through. Taking even one of his would be lethal, but we can fight as they both kind of go after him. As Lucifero thinks, why must I deal with these insects? I want to end that brat. And then he says, Adramalek! Which we finally get is the name of the other devil that's been kind of like, you know, bored and watching over everything. He says, huh? Uh, he says, you fight these two. He says, nah, I'll pass. And Lucifero says, why you... It's more fun to watch you fight, Lucifero. And Mario Leona laughs at this and says, ha, not real popular, are you? But she notices her body's kind of breaking up from the midst of the magic. And Adramalek says, oh, things were just getting good. Maybe she got too close to Mana. Human limits. Lucifero then says, die, is prepared to punch her, but he is stopped uh, by uh, Uno's magic, as well as uh, knocked using Devil Union to use the shadows. He didn't calls uh, cause a spell called Mode. Canis X Equus. And Austin then attacks uh, Lucifero from behind, but he says, it's pointless. There you are, filthy brat. And Noct seems to take a blow for Asta. He says, has a brief moment where I'm going. I'm going to see you soon, Morgan. But someone intervenes in the fight. He says, we finally meet up again and you pull this. Don't you dare go dying on me, Vice Captain, as Captain Yami is on the field. Oh, this is so good. Like, it feels good to feel good about Black Clover. Like, I think I say this every time I talk about it. Like, I dunk on it. <laughs> But these have been really good. Uh, this is why I read shonen manga. It's like, yeah, it's every single bit of this completely 100% cheesy and <laughs> and all over the place and inconsistent. Yes, absolutely it is. But this is why I'm here. I'm here to see these really cool fights. I'm here to see a good guy appear from nowhere and save the day. Saw someone not be hit by a blow. They end a chapter with, so we see the next chapter. Oh, no, they're going to be saved by someone else. <laughs> It's good. I mean, what more can I say? So we'll go from there uh, to Blue Box. This is chapter 38, A Flirt. <laughs> uh, so Shinatsu Senpai is about to go on her way to her basketball tournament, but then Taiki says, hey, you forgot something, your wallet. And he hands it to her. And she says, thanks. She says, no problem. And they kind of stare at each other awkwardly. He says, I should say something. Good luck. I feel that's lacking. You're going up against high schoolers just like yourself? That also feels so weak. It's a, uh, oh, by the way, your bracelet hasn't broken off yet. She says, yeah, even though the wish I made on it was to go to nationals. He says, and let's add one more wish. It hasn't broken off yet, so we should still be able to. And he starts praying. He says, please may Chinatsu Senpai not get injured, show the fruits of all her hard labor, and claim victory in a blaze of glory. And she smiles. He says, isn't that piling out a bit much? It, it granted you a, your wish for a spot on Nationals so I can handle this much. I'll send it some power. And there's this really cute little panel of him like trying to summon the energy to it. She says, I don't feel any power. Give it directly, please. And she holds up her hand for a high five. And he smacks it and says, you've got this. She says, thanks. And she says, if you run out of power, I can always send you more. 
<laughs> and there's another really cute panel for looking at her hand. It says, uh, Taiki, you really quite the flirt. And he has that shocked expression on his face. And then she walks away and says, well, I'd better be off. See you when you get back. And he thinks, I know this is rude to think, but like you're one to talk. <laughs> so later on, he's talking to Glasses Coon. He says, the, the way I see it, you both are. But Taiki says, she's a flirt for wanting a high five. Oh, no, this is still Glasses Coon. But what you were doing was also pretty flirty. Pretty flirty. Pretty flirty. Uh, by the way, I don't know if this has anything to do with what Shinatsu Senpai said, but Amada found out that you and Chona went to the fireworks festival together. When I asked how she knew, she said she saw it herself. It's possible that Shinatsu Senpai also knows. And Taiki says, what? So he freaks out and says, oh, man, he thinks she must think I'm lying right now. <laughs> he starts freezing up in place, says, oh, it's time to go practice. And, you know, she might have, even though she might have thought you were on a date, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and he, he says, I only apologize for unintentionally lying as a result. Right now, I have something more important to do. And they also see Hina there, says she's sorry, she's all flustered, walks away. Says, oh, she must be focused on nationals. That's not what it is, Taiki, buddy. And so they notice that uh, Kyoto, excuse me, Haru is practicing, getting ready. And there's this really cool visual of a tiger behind him. It says, who's ready to face me next? And Taiki says, I'll play you. Says, I will show no mercy. <laughs> so he's in C. Uh, they have left for the badminton uh, tournament held in uh, Yamano Civic Tournament, the, the Yamano Civic Sports Center. But on the way there, uh, he sees Yusa, the guy who beat Haru. And he hears his name from behind him. And it's uh, Karin. And you know, she's there to go cheer on Haru. Says, oh, perfect timing. Right now I'm on the phone with Chi. You want to say hi? But troll. What an absolute troll. So we'll move on uh, from there to uh, Blue Box uh, Chapter 39. Testing it out. She hands the phone to Taiki. And it says, hello. And there's a, a beep, beep. And she says, oh, sorry. I guess she hung up. I was just on the phone with her a second ago. And Taiki thinks, I'm 100% sure she did that on purpose. <laughs> she really is Haru Senpai's girlfriend. She says, sorry about that. I'm sure you wanted to talk to your crush. He says, nah. Why would you say I have a crush on her? Uh, well, your reaction just now says it all. How long have you liked her? Since before you two started living together or after? You know about our living together too? Well, I got the general rundown from Chinatsu. Must be tough living under the same room as your crush. It's not that tough. He thinks, I see. So so what she couldn't tell the girls at school, she was able to tell Karin. And Karin asks, are things going okay with she? Well, she's almost too accommodating. She treats everything in the house with care and is proactive about helping with things like cleaning. Does she ever stare off into space? Well, she does. I knew it. When I start eating a snack, she'll stare at me. She tends to beg with her eyes. It often feels like time flows more slowly around her. Not that I don't like it. Says, well, I guess you, you two could live together well. And Haru sees them both as you actually showed up. So why would you put it that way? I came all this way for you. Well, I know how busy you are, Kari. I move my schedule around for this. Having your cute girlfriend cheer you on is supposed to be motivating, isn't it? But don't say that about yourself. <laughs> are you taking on someone tough? No, we're probably about the same level. You already do your warm-ups? I was about to. Make sure you win. And he says, I know. Before he's put into a vat of carbonite. So Karin then goes to the stands with Taiki, and uh, they kind of she explains how they met. So she met him in fifth grade, 
says, you know, but after hanging out together a few times and talking on the phone, I started to worry about things like, what kind of relationship is this? But one day, uh, their relationship got suddenly got bumped into high gear. He thinks he's suddenly narrating it like a story. <laughs> I'd had a pretty bad day at work and was feeling down about it, so I called to tell Kingo about it. And then after I hung up, he sent me a text message. It says, can you come out now? And he's outside of her house. She asks, what are you doing here? I was going to go on a run anyway, so I thought I'd bring you this. Well, what is it? It says it's my diary from second grade. It's a good read, just something light. It says, read this before going to bed. And remember that there's someone this dumb out there in the world. Then you'll feel better. Uh, knowing you, Cotty, you'll overthink things so much that you won't be able to sleep. If you need a solution, we'll think one up together after you wake up. <laughs> she says, you really are dumb. Right? I particularly recommend this one. Well, I thought I saw a UFO. And she then hugs him and says, if you do this to me, I'm going to think about you, Kingo. She says, and that's when I confessed my feelings for him in the present. I just couldn't take it anymore. And Taiki thinks, she's also a liquid level, a gold medal flirt. She says, after that, we talked out. At the beginning, Kingo was worried, too, but we started going out in the condition that if either one of us started to slack off at work or in sports, we'd break up. The moment we knew we liked each other, we couldn't go back to being friends. I just couldn't accept giving up on something purely based on speculation before actually giving it a try. That's why we're still testing it out. She goes, then looks down as he's practicing and says, you've got this. Uh, this is actually in the middle of their match. So he looks up at her. She gives him the OK sign. And Taiki says, I have no idea what Chinatsu Senpai is thinking. And I haven't told her at all what I'm thinking either. And then Haru and Yusa have a moment with each other. And Haru says, you know what? What are you talking about? I came here to win the whole thing. And they're then called to go play with one another. Excellent chapters uh, from Blue Box. Uh, hyping up uh, the romantic angle. Get a nice little moment between Taiki and Chinatsu. And then learning about uh, Kingo. And uh, Kaidin's relationship was just fun. I see, they seem like perfect matches for each other. So I'll move on from there uh, to Dr. Stone. This is uh, Z equals 227. It was you? Imagine that. I'll wait till you learn what happens here. So we get, starting over in a primeval world, we clawed our way up one step at a time until we finally reached the surface of the moon. Uh, so, it, there's a minute where the Medusa is talked about, like, how it's in a vacuum right now, so it's not going to go off. And Kohaku says, oh, worst comes to worst, I can throw this capsule at the enemy and say, 10 meters, one sec. But she's stopped by both Stanley and Sinker and says, stop. She says, whoops, almost doomed us all. <laughs> so we can chat later. Yep, no sense in wasting good oxygen. Let's do this hard and fast. And then go on a moon buggy uh, and Zeno from... Command says, your destination is the Tauros Litro Valley. We learn, helpfully from Chelsea, that this is also the neck of the bunny on the moon. That's where the inexplicable dark stain on the surface is located. And Stanley says, the enemy will spot us from miles away in this tricked-out lunar rover. Sicker says, yep, better than landing smack dab in the heart of darkness. We get, what's that? As they pass by the American flag that was planted all the way back in 1969. You know, uh, at that moment when uh, Stanley Kubrick you know, forced them all to land on the moon to fake the moon landing. And Kwaku says, someone's planted the flag? And Stanley says, the good old red, white, and blue of the U.S. USA. 
and said, because it's minus to red and blue, since direct exposure to cosmic rays bleached to white. It says, uh, we can't assume anything about this enemy that'll get us killed. One way to, only way to know is to go and see it for ourselves. It's a very nice spread of them traveling on the moon. But then Kohaku gets a message, thinking it's from Senku. says, please unseal the Medusa capsule. She says, you sure about that, Senku? And since when do you say please? Do you want me to open it here, now? Yes, please, indeed, hurry. But before she can do that, she is stopped by Stanley, who says, Kohaku, what's with you? Senku didn't say a word. They realize, oh, Y-Man was trying to trick you. As Y-Man then says, thank you so much for unlocking it for me. Uh, Senku just says, toss it, Kohaku. She does so. It then explodes above them, preventing them from being petrified. And Senku says, so this is it. This is So this is what's behind that ominous dark stain we spotted. As it looks towards it, says, I get it. Finally, it's all coming together, the whole mystery. All along, this whole time, closer than we knew, Y-Man was you. And who could it be, people? Well, it wasn't what I guessed. Well, partially. Uh, my guess, I had to. It was either going to be uh, Senku's actual bio dad, who had, you know, the reason the Byakuya had adopted him is that he was going to be permanently uh, based on uh, the moon uh, station that they had. So he let Byakuya take care of him for a bit. But eventually kind of went mad from being alone for so long and created the Medusa. Maybe he hated humanity. Maybe something had happened to Senku's mom that made him hate humans or something like that. That was my guess. Originally, my second guess was this was an AI of some sort, uh, which I'm partially right. I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't. i not going to give myself you know, the gold medal here. Maybe silver. Because we find out in the next chapter... Which is Z equals 228 life stone. We see a bunch of Medusa rings all the way, which has created that dark spot in the moon. And we see that, ah, I knew you can talk using radio waves, Senku says, whether in English or Japanese. And it says, yes. You are the Medusas, and you, the devices, are the machine life forms that form Y Man. Dun, dun, dun. Which I, I am, after having spent a lot of time on this, I am okay with this revelation. It makes sense. After all this time, like it would have, if there was a person, they would have had to be petrified over and over again. Like my Senku's bio dad idea uh, was that he would periodically check up on the Earth to see if anyone had come out, repetrify them, then go back to sleep. And the petrification, that was my guess. Uh, it d wouldn't really make sense for it to have been anyone uh, in that they knew on Earth, especially it gave the appearance of it was someone that the modern day humans should know. And I actually was talking to someone uh, a while back whose uh, fringe idea was that it was Kaseki, <laughs> which they actually provided some good evidence for it. So I, I actually, I actually kind of liked it after I heard that. But no, it's the Medusa themselves, which says, uh, do you want to die? It says, wait, could it be that they're trying to petrify us all so that we don't have to die? And again, again says, dear Senku, I haven't the faintest whether or not our new friends are capable of honest conversation, but in any case, negotiation with a new politi political entity has, historically and universally, always begun with an immediate offering of a gift. And Kawaki says, well, except we didn't bring anything. 
Besides, what sort of gift makes sense for these things? Are they even alive? Sinku says, thanks. Think. They must operate according to replicable rules. As long as there are rules, then there's science at work. We only know one thing for certain so far. They've gone out of their way to ask if we want to die. So these things, like any other organism, consider living and surviving to be crazy important. And he says out loud, Why, man? Oh, that's probably not your name, but you don't mind if we stick to that, right? With the level of science we're at now, we can't create more of you, sorry to say. However, we can replenish your life force by providing new diamond batteries. One step at a time, the science of humanity passed milestones and made it that far, at least. That's our gift to you, and in return, we request that you... And Gin says, nice and careful now, dear Senku. Watch what you say and keep it polite. <laughs> then he says, starts yelling, says, quit firing off those petrol beams every chance you get, jerkwads. And he asks, why? And this is, oh, wait, uh, Stanley then fires off something. This is, uh, Y-Man says, stop that kindly for a moment, be still. Y-Man ain't a single entity. It's not some monolith acting in unison. Senku says it loud. I have no data to work with here, just intuition. But I'm thinking you'd love nothing more than having some maintenance done on you guys. The Petra Beam serves that purpose. Of course. This is in a thinking. Why man's true identity is the Medusa devices themselves. Petrification offers everlasting life, and by dangling that reward, they spur intelligent life to better itself, to march towards progress. They are, in fact, mechanical parasites. Ah, what a revelation! What truly elegant organisms! And why man says, yes, accurate that is, about turning you to stone. Now comprehensive communication of information, several millennia prior, will be divulged. So, excellent chapters from Dr. Stone. Um, like I said, the more I, I thought about it, the more I liked it. I was a little iffy when it was first introduced as the truth. Um, so, and this whole revelation about them petrifying humanity because they want to give incentive to always since they've basically given them immortality as you know Senku uh, what is it Senku, Sukasa and Gin yeah I think those are the only three we know for sure know this uh, that, that's a super cool idea I mean these things do have a lot of time on their hands so they'll last a lot longer and then give humans the focus like well if we let you live forever, will you make us live forever as well? Like, well, I'm sure all life at some point wants that. I mean, especially if you're sapient. So I'm all for that. And we'll go from there to the Ron the Radaran. This is Chapter 8, Friends. So Hanya Gyuki is still going on his rampage. Uh, Genshio saves a civilian in the midst of this as samurai are trying to fight with her. She thinks, one year ago. I was a low-ranking samurai during a great disaster. I was so weak they didn't even let me fight on the front line. But the more samurai and bystanders I saw die, the more frustrated I got with myself. She uses uh, Yagyu Blade of Divine Speed, Hurricane, for the sake of my career and to prevent the loss of many more lives. That day I felt the deep, this deepest need to become the strongest. As Gyuki says, you stole my prey. She thinks, I won't let another great disaster happen again. Happened today. He says, I hate arrogant tricks. He goes over his back, says, Yagyu bladed divine speed, whirlwind drill. Tries to penetrate it. He says, well, I like spirited women. And she runs away. He says, how will you cry and scream as I chew you up? Ooh, I can't wait. But she is then saved by Dora, who then throws Kusunagi at her to get her out of his jaws. He catches her, says, ah, nice fishing. She says, Sasaki, didn't I tell you not to carry me like a princess? Well, so, well sorry, no fighting. But then she says, thank you, you saved me. Uh, right. Well, that was out of character. So why are you two so beat up? 
Well, we were fighting the Amadanoke just now. You got here first, of course. That's my eye for talent for you. Okay, she's herself again. <laughs> uh, and says, I thought I killed you. How dare you come back to life? Uh, then in jump back, uh, Dora says, yeah, Kusanagi, over there. As Yuki is looking around and says, hmm, where'd they go? And they're all strategizing, said so they need to plan. Uh, uh, Kusanagi then asks, you believe in us, remember? We're going to defeat this Mononoke. Please help us. Uh, Yuki continues to rampage. Kinshio then appears and says, here I am. It's good, good. I like obedience. Here I am. Come and get me, Slowpoke. And she runs away. Uh, so, he says, I'll kill you. Here I am. So who's the Slowpoke now? And says, oh, now I'm over here. She speeds away. Uh, he then tries to send some of his needles at her. She dodges them. Uh, then have a flashback about how they need to uh, use this moment to <clears throat> to have a moment to make a uh, diversion. And Dora says, you know, I'm not doing this for revenge. I'm doing this to protect everyone, which is a massive turn from a chapter two ago. But sure, character development, that real quick. Uh, he, he continues, says, when it sees where we're aiming, it'll stop shooting its needles. We only have one chance. And Kusanagi as then uh, brings his blade inside, says, it didn't work, Dora. The blade barely went in. Uh, Kyuki says, die. So Kusanagi says, his needles are growing back. Dora, retreat. Dora says, we can do this, Kusanagi. Keep going. Don't worry. I'm still calm. We cut him a little bit. Let's give him everything we got. We can do this. And he thinks, Mom, I made a special friend. We're going to do great things together, so please watch over us from above. And that is the end of that chapter, which will then bring us uh, to that kind of organism, chapter 9. As Yuki seems to have been destroyed by this attack. So, there's your Grand Fisher arc, people. Ichigo has defeated Grand Fisher, except he totally didn't. It got away. And it was only then killed by his dad later on. Spoilers. <laughs> For Bleach. <laughs> so we start with Genshiyo saying, They did it, as Kyuki seems to be dissipating. And Kusanagi says, We did it! We did it, Dora! He says, Yeah, when we combine our strength, we can defeat any enemy. But, oh, it's still alive! It's okay, supernatural energy is starting to dissipate. It won't last long. But Kyuki says, Ah, oh, it hurts! Oh. But from inside we hear, Oh, shut up. As hands then completely destroy uh, the body crafting a path from inside, says, uh, what just happened? As this new figure has appeared, does not seem to be Gyuki. It's almost like, I I'm guessing, with the eight heads around him in this humanoid form, there's maybe an Orochi in the series. That's my personal guess. Uh, and they kind of all freak out. It's like, what is this humanoid guy doing there? He says, oh, I'm still sleepy. Uh, Dora asks, what's this, a human or a, a Mononoke? Kusanagi says, it's a Mononoke. With mind-boggling supernatural power, and Genshiyo thinks, a humanoid Mononoke? Its supernatural energy is so immense I can't gauge it. Uh, and Dora asks, uh, did that thing eat you? <laughs> and, uh, the guy says, stomachs are warm and comfy on the inside. Good for sleeping, so I burrow into them. So wait, are you human? Uh, y yes, I'm human. Uh, the Mononoke looks around says, is this a human world? Uh, the human world? It's full of humans, right? Uh, well, sure. <laughs> he just starts posing. It's like, yes! Where's the biggest city? Uh, biggest? You mean Musashi no Kuni Kamui? Uh, yes, I think that. I think. Which way? And Dora points. Uh, that way, I guess. I'm not sure exactly. It's super far. Gotcha. Thanks. 
hey, what are you doing? As he didn't, uh, there's a bunch of uh, balls of energy around the different little spirit dragon heads or whatever these are, shadows. Says, I'll get there if I go that way, right? I just have to clear a path. He starts running away, but uh, Dora is able to stop him with Kusanagi, but it's causing a lot of uh, damage to Kusanagi in the process. Says, ah. So he starts laughing at him. Says, oh, why'd you protect her? Right, they got in front of Ginchio, I forgot to say that. Uh, the Mononoke too? You nearly died, actually. Are you alive? And what kind of weird organisms are you? Like, if she dies, you die. You two die too? Dora says, shut up. Losing a friend hurts more than dying. That's the kind of organisms we are, idiot. The ones who give off really bad dialogue like that. He says, uh, Mononoke says, weird. The whole point of others is to be used for your own enjoyment. Toying with them, killing them, you know, stuff like that. Dora says, I'll protect them no matter what. Ginchio's thinking, ah, I'm still paralyzed thanks to the spines. Why, why am I so weak? And then Mononoke says, let's try that again. You'll protect them no matter what, right? But before he can send off any blasts, a new samurai has appeared. He says, oh, don't bother struggling. You're going to die anyways. And we get the really nice villain dialogue of, no, you are. <laughs> really, really well-written characters this week. And that's Duran Duran. So, um, I think my Grand Fisher uh, <laughs> uh, connection there is really true in the worst possible way. It's not... These chapters are not good. And I was hoping for so much more with this series. Like, I do like the introduction of the humanoid Mononoke. I'm all for that uh, as an antagonist, but the whole situation with the Kyuki is like, oh, that's what killed my mother, and I'm going to seek revenge. Well, you shouldn't seek revenge. Okay, I won't seek revenge. <laughs> was so bad <laughs> and the dialogue alone in this chapter is just atrocious oh gosh so i mean the run the rubber one seems to be placing well uh in shonen jump i think it just got a color page today i've read those chapters but i haven't spent enough time like researching them and stuff like that before i put them on the podcast so i decided to wait um i don't think i mentioned that earlier now in the uh the midst of all of this so, yeah, that's that. I don't think I have anything else to say for this chapter. So we're going to move on to the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 48, uh, Kyo 1335. So, uh, we get the fact that uh, most of the forces fighting against uh, the Hojo are being wiped out. Uh, we also get an account of a Tenku messenger that's been recorded in a chronicle from the time known as the Taiheike. This is the justification for the Tengu we just saw earlier, who attacked Genba, who then reports everything, says, Rumor has it they can cross 100 ri in one day. That's almost 250 miles. And played a crucial role in the information war that resulted in the Shogunate's downfall. And Yoroshika says, I too have heard of Tengu under Ashikaga command. There's an old institution known as the Ashikaga School, with skilled instructors devoted to training shinobi. There is documentation attesting that the Ashikaga steward, Kono Mor- Moronau was the first to employ Shinobi. Gimma says, we should call off the big fight. The Tengu have caused many revolts to collapse by uncovering and exposing their weaknesses. They would easily see through the brat. <laughs> and uh, Tokiyuku's uncle's thinking, we must protect Tokiyukudono, as his face is saying, but I'm in danger too. <laughs> Yoshiki says, the other day I foresaw a troubling future. 
Tokiyuki-sama may die if he stays here in Suwa. He should flee somewhere distant. And they have all agreed they need to go to Kyo with Yasue, who will be the adult in all of this, presumably. It says the enemy will never suspect two Hojo survivors are in Kyo, and it will be easy to blend in with the crowd. Besides, if you want to rule, you should see Kyo at least once. The capital is at the forefront of culture, and while they may be the enemy, the Emperor, Takauji, Nita, and Kusonoki are geniuses. You must not come face to face with them, but you will learn much in such a rich environment. And Tokiki says, then I would like to see Kyo. Will Suwa be alright? And Yorishige says, actually, I expected this turn of events. The Suwa sect established a secret emergency code, whereby its members pretend to talk about food, but are actually devising strategy. And there's a bit about them, you know, doing all of that, you know, discussing things without discussing them. And you see the Tingu again, is getting real mad that if, you know, that fox is referring to Gimba hadn't noticed me, he'd have been able to do a lot more. Uh, so Yorishige then says they're going to leave tonight. We can use the confusion caused by a mysterious intruder to aid your escape and destroy any evidence. However, this plan does not leave us time for a proper farewell. And we can see later on, the place has been set on fire. Uh, <clears throat> they are then fleeing in the midst of this. And Yoshike thinks, Kyo possesses its own dangers, and I hate to send you away based on uncertain visions of the future, but you will grow on this trip to Kyo. I look forward to seeing you mature by overcoming challenges. I am like your parent. Letting you go is one form of love. Now go! As if to feel that he's also following him on his horse. And don't look back, Tokiyukidono. <laughs> and Tokiyukidono asks, uh, Yoshike, are you coming too? <laughs> Gim asks, uh, uh, what are you doing? Uh, well, I'm worried about you, Tokiyuki-sama. And Fubuki says, if the Tengu see you, this whole ruse will fail. Uh, go back to the shrine and stop making that face. And Shizuku says, uh, Father, you're a disgrace. You must go. And he starts crying and <laughs> rides off on his horse. This is uh, Tokiyuki's narration is thinking, When I wrote to Kyo with hope in my heart, it was, it was May. I had many encounters and tumultuous experiences, and in June, the flames of war bloomed over the capital. Which will then lead us into uh, chapter 49. This is Extraordinary 1335. So the group is stuck at a checkpoint right now. It's going to be perfectly obvious that they are who they are, especially with Yasue uh, saying everything he's really thinking on his face, on his forehead. So they talk about how Kyo is this really expensive place. Uh, Shizuku and Ayako are all really gushing about the sights they'll see. Now what they can spend their money on. But uh, Gimba has stolen money to get some more, saying that he squeezed it out of uh, Yorishige. He said, I said if I hadn't found that Tengu, Suo would have already fallen. And Fubuki says, indeed, the enemy didn't learn our battle plan, so we were able to flee for Kyo. So you deserve that reward. But we need to talk. Can you lend me some money? I already spent all of mine. <laughs> and Shizuku says, that's because you brought so much food along the way. And Yaku says, even, you even ate most of it. What? Well, you even ate most of what we brought. And he looks to uh, Tokiyuki for sympathy, who says, it's your own fault. They didn't go eat, while uh, Fubuki goes to train himself to distract himself from the hunger. He says, I'm hungry. And so they're all kind of like, oh gosh, this sword prey really is something. And Ayaka says, yeah, I couldn't beat him one-on-one. -on -one. And Gimma thinks, he only missed one meal, but he looks starved. I bet he's hiding even greater ability. And he tosses him some food. He says, thank me by teaching me. The Tengu said my skill was just a trick. 
I was no match for him. I sensed a great difference in skill. What do you think is the difference between me and him? Well, Shinobi's skills are my expertise, but they should display immense power, or I won't seem extraordinary. Extraordinary? Your specialty is making mischief that it slows down the enemy. But that won't work on a battlefield where everyone is ready to die. If I wanted to kill you, I could. If you can convey that, your enemies will freeze under your gaze. That's the difference between magic tricks and real skill. Oh, I get it. If I develop something lethal, simply having it having it will make bluffing effective. Exactly. So we see that Yasue is about to go <laughs> beg and plead uh, to let them through. The checkpoint says, oh, if we don't reach go by tomorrow, we'll die on the road. Sayonji Kamuni promised to hire me as his manservant, and I'll finally be able to provide for these children whose mother died. It was the first decent work a miserable country samurai like me has ever found. I even went into debt to buy gifts and this horse. So please, please, please. And the guy in charge says, oh, whatever, just go, pa go pass. And he says, uh, thank you so much. So he says, I fasted for half a day and rolled around out in the wild so I'd look like a poor samurai. Temporary wretchedness to hide your true self is nothing, Tokiyuki Dono, for we Hojo are born to rule. Here we get some narration. Uh, records tell of Hojo Yasue disguising himself as a country samurai to enter Kyo. He pretended to take part in a nasty power struggle, then fled when the shogunate fell. He fanned rebellion wherever he went. Before once again sneaking into Kyo, it was an outrageous plan, but at the time, he was a master of underhanded maneuvers. Tokiyuki's aptitude for survival was closer to his uncle's wily nature than the weak impotence of his father, Takatoki. Those two thrive in a crisis. Is that what Fubuki meant by extraordinary? Gimma asked himself. I needed to develop something extraordinary myself. To dumbfound that rotten Tengu. And we, we end with uh, Yasue saying, uh, Kyo lies just ahead, Tokiyukidono. If you need someone to be pitiful, I'm your man. <laughs> wow. At least the samurai just keeps better and better. And I, that's about it for, for that one right there. Uh, so we'll move on. To uh, Fire Force, uh, Chapter 300, The Only Way. And gotta say, Fire Force just keeps getting better. Even it's ending. And I think 303 is going to be the final chapter, if I remember correctly. Maybe 304. Uh, we start uh, with Iris and Inca and Sumer and the rest of them saying, Well, everyone's come back to life. Inca says, Looks like it. But since we, the Pillars, chose to resonate with Haumea's despair, I think we should wait and see what she chooses. And she says, I can't believe we will let humanity's despair accumulate into a cataclysm all over again. This is insanity. You escaped that hell just to go back to it. And Shinra says, that's why you're wrong. Tell me then, what's so different? For as long as there is life uh, in the world, as long as there is life in this world, the fear of death can never, as long as there is human consciousness, Despair will never cease. That's correct. Then why? Oh, well, I changed things. Changed things? What could you possibly mean? And we see, uh, oh, what is his name? Kajiki? Is that his name? Yeah, oh, no, Hijiki. Uh, looking around, says, I can't pinpoint it, but something's different around here. And Juggernaut appears, says, Hijiki Senpai, hugs him, and then his head falls off. <laughs> oh, half of it. Uh, says, What? What is this? Uh, why is my hand growing creepy? And we get uh, Orochi is there as well. Says this is crazy. Says uh, let's see. Um, am I dead? I don't re quite remember. But did I die? And Orochi points at herself and says, uh, uh, "Yeah, I'm the one who killed you." <laughs> he says, "Ah, oh, I gotta remember you now. We ran into each other. Uh, we sure did." Well, I'm not one to sweat the small stuff. Huh? Uh, yeah, totally. I'm not either. 
because I'm so into you right now. <laughs> and Dragon says, if not death, then what exactly do you call small stuff? And then introduced themselves to each other. <laughs> it's like, you know what? Sure, whatever works. As we move over to uh, Captain Obi with Vulcan, Maki, and Tamaki, who's saying, Captain, uh, your neck, your neck is... And this flat back on and says, you know, once I came back to my senses, I felt like my neck, neck didn't fit right. And Vulcan says, let's get you fixed up. <laughs> they both removed their shirts and flex. So hell yeah. <laughs> uh, Durkin says, uh, oh, after uh, Hinoa mentions like that everything feels off, says, did you notice it as well, Sergeant? This out of place feeling. It seems the depiction of this world has changed again. If I had to guess, now it's more like a world of madness. Hmm, what does that sound like? We go back to Haumea and Shinra. She says, Shinra Bancho Man, what exactly have you done? She says, when I rebuilt the world, I lessened the value of life. You lessened the value of life? I made death into something a little closer and more intimate as we see uh, death appear in his hand. Death from what? Well, soul leader, maybe. And she then goes inside of uh, this little tent. She says, uh, says, you think that's going to stop me from despairing, Saint? You can decide... If I should do things over. If you don't like this one, I'll kick, oh, kick the world into shape all over again. Let's live it again and again. And Sho says, like, look, brother, she's just going to choose despair all over again. Shona says, no, she won't. Isn't that right? As Charon, uh, Sharon, Charon, Charon, however the heck you want to pronounce it, then appears behind him and says, Haumea, it's me. You still hear that voice of despair, don't you? I know better than anybody the pain you feel from humanity's collective unconscious. But I never cared about humanity or their suffering. It wasn't their pain that hurt me, it was yours. That's why I wanted to create a catastrophe as soon as possible to put Haumea out of her misery. But there was one thing I always regretted. I wanted to see your smiling face, even if it was only once. You were always crying deeply inside. Just because we're at the climax doesn't mean you should cry, Max. Jimmy says, uh... The mom, their mom says, good one. And says, you don't even have to smile. But please, if I could just see your face again. And she leaves the tent and says, it's not fair, Shinra Bancho man, using Charon. That's cheating. You've got a cute little pouty face on. Let's move on to the next chapter, Choosing the Future. Uh, that is chapter 301. So Charon uh, lifts her up and hugs her. Says, don't hold me like I'm some baby. Uh, but Karen says, but we've all been reborn, the whole world, even me, and you too. Chinra says, absolutely nothing is absolute, but I absolutely won't make you regret being born into a world of death. He says, believe me, now that I have cast off mankind's collective unconscious, I can truly live. Ahmed says, but then, where did all that despair go? As we see three eyes in this dark form of shadows, then leap up and... Shinra says, it doesn't have a place in this world. And he smashes it into nothingness. He says, go back to sleep. As the sun is smiling behind him. He says, now get back out there and live again. So we get uh, the pillars and talking about everything. About how Amaterasu is going to disappear. But Iris says, no, if anyone should disappear, it should be me, your doppelganger. He says, don't be stupid. Your eyes have always overflowed with hope. You chose to die with Haumea out of kindness towards me and her. Iris, you should live in my place. No, you should live for the both of us. A fake like me? And Sumeri is asked by Inca as well, but 
uh, Amaterasu says, you're not a fake Iris. You're the me I always wanted to be. And they're brought back to life. And Shinra smiles, says, Sister Iris. She smiles at him, says, Shinra. And Inka says, and I'm here too. <laughs> so Aluku came back. I tried dying. It was actually kind of lame. She says, well done, brother. Now everything is settled. He says, no, we're not done just yet. As death has appeared behind him, he says, I have no reason to let you continue living. He says, yeah, I know. And that is the end of the chapter. Uh, yes. Yes, a thousand times yes. This series is ending in a way that few series can. And that's well. Unless something colossally stupid happens, in the next couple of chapters, Fire Force is going to nail its landing. And I'm here for it. 100%. So, uh, before we do move on to our next chapter, I would like a uh, moment of silence, please, for the Hunter's Guild Red Hood. Thank you for participating. I uh, will then move on, because uh, I'm fairly certain I did I did the Crazy Diamonds Demonic Heartbreak Chapter 2. But if I didn't, then it was Whole Horse and Josuke teaming up, and it was a lot of fun, because I don't have that set up on my computer right now. We'll go into uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, Chapter 173, Tokyo Col Number 1 Colony, Part 13. And we start with Reggie on the ground, dying and bleeding. Says the domain and the pool. Concealed that you still had the dog. You didn't flee into this gym. You lured me in. Outsmarted by a modern-day sorcerer and a kid to boot. Which, uh, shame on me, because I should have said something about this. Like, you know, they made a big deal about some of the sorcerers are from the past. I was, I thought for sure Reggie was, but I am fairly certain I did not mention this on the podcast. So, my bad. It says, uh... Megami says, I couldn't flee. New Mayo can't carry people for very long. I've had trouble with that before. <laughs> and it's him and Yuji trying to get to the top of a building. So, what's your relationship with the Master Tingen? Tingen? Oh, right. That shut-in would still be alive. Okay, that's enough. Reggie said Master Tingen was bluffing about the objective of the Colon game. I have to consider the possibility that Master Tingen lied about that because he's secretly in league with Kenjaku. But Reggie's reaction makes it unlikely. And Reggie says, Kugane, give this guy all my points. He says, Reggie Star has transferred, transferred 41 points. So why don't you do that? Well, you don't sound pleased. Consider it a good deed before death. I'm just a spectator. Kenjaku and I aren't close. I have a feeling it'll be more interesting this way. Just a hunch, really. So please, after all, you're my executioner. Let fate toy with you before you die like a fool. And then Reggie dies. And we hear, you have gained five points. As there's a massive, massive explosion as Takaba is still battling uh, other guy whose name escapes me at the moment. He says, he says, why are you covered in lotion? Maybe it's Ankake sauce. I just shut up and die. Well, it really is Ankake. And he says, seriously, who, what's with this guy? With how many times I've bombed him, he should be dead five times over by now. Why so little damage? And his first wounds have already healed. But I don't think he used a reverse curse technique like me. I don't get it. Uh, we get a message that says, uh, Master Hazanoke, uh, Master Reggie Star has died. And he turns around and comments, oh, What's up? He says, oh, I'm going home. I've had enough of this. Okay, cool. Take a bath and brush your teeth. He says, then he realizes, Hey, wait, hey, man, give me your points. Stop following me. Come on, just for the fun of it. Die. <laughs> and we get narration here. It says, uh, Takaba's power is comedian. When he comes up with something that he's certain will be funny, it becomes reality. 
It's a curse technique capable of opposing even Satoru Gojo. But when it comes to its own curse technique, he is utterly clueless. <laughs> I love when series do this. When you give the most one of the most OP powers to one of the dumbest people in the world, it's like you're giving the hand uh, to Okuyasu. Like if in the hands of a strategist like uh, Kira or uh, you know someone like Jorno, like uh, there'd be no way you'd ever beat them. Uh, if it weren't for the range of the stand itself. But it's just so great, like, giving this really huge reality warping power to someone who's unaware of just how great it is. <laughs> so we move on to Raimi, who's running away, saying, I'm so confused right now. Being an adult is so confusing. They say men are wolves, but it's always a wolf who clears things up for me. If wolves will do everything for me, then I don't have to think about anything, because I'm cute. The wolves will always, always, and she's being run down by one of uh, Megumi's uh, uh, But before she can be killed, uh, we see Megumi's sister saying no. And Raimi says, you're letting me go? He, he says, away from her, shut up. It says his sister's name. Like, I'm not doing this. And he collapses from the strain. But then the angel uh, appears. Uh, what was her name? Uh, uh, it was uh, uh, Hana. Hana. Hana Kurusu? Hanakurusu. I'm fairly certain that's it. Uh, appears next to uh, Megami as he has collapsed. We get narration. The fighting in Sendai Colony escalated quickly, far surpassing that in Tokyo Colony, in its pure viciousness. We move on to Sendai and the Miyagi Prefecture. We see uh, Dhruv Lak Lakdawala. Points, 91. He's a veteran in his second incarnation who once single-handedly conquered the archipelago in the Civil War of Wa. He has two types of independent Shikigami, and their orbiting trajectories constitute his own domain. We get Ryu Ichigori, points 77. He's a hotshot who boasts the highest cursed energy output of all the players. Takako Uro, points 70. She's a captain of the former captain of the Sun, Moon, and Star Squad, a group of assassins directly affiliated with the Toe. Her cursed technique allows her to control the sky. Which, how completely fake. <laughs> uh, then we get uh, Kururushi, points, 54. A cockroach cursed spirit from, uh, whom Kenjaku freed from cursed spirit manipulation. Its rank is special grade, registered, and it's lying dormant until certain conditions disappear. Uh, instead of forming an alliance, these four, as a result of their conflicting abilities and complex natures, found themselves in a standoff. Ultimately, one did fall. As we see, our boy, Yuta Okotsu, points 35 appear. This is three months after the night parade of 100 demons. Yuta came back to become a special grade sorcerer, second only to Satoru Gojo in Unusual Abilities. I am so ready for this. I'm so ready for the Jujutsu Kaisen Zero movie. Uh, the volume was really nice. Um, I, I don't think people are ready for his full potential here. So we'll move on to the next chapter, uh, which is 174. This is Sendai Colony, Part 1. So, uh, continued Yuta chapters for a while? Uh, yes, please. Sign me up. So we start with him, leading a bunch of civilians around. Um, saying, oh, let's take a break for now. He says, uh, the powerful sorcerer I just defeated had laid claim to the stadium. So no one else will come near for a while. But he's immediately contradicted. Tells them everyone run into the stadium as a swarm 
of roaches descends and starts eating people alive. And he, barely anything he can do to stop them. He says, are these cockroaches real? Each one has cursed energy and they're reinforced. A single one is no problem, but a swarm poses a serious threat. Tells everyone to run, and then calls for Rika to knock him down. Rika appears, smashes atop the bridge they were going through, smashes mo most of them as well. It says, uh, one of, uh, the rest of the players are watching him in the midst of this, and you to ask, Kukani, is that thing a player? It says, yes, its name is Kuro, Kuro Ushi, Kuro Rushi, Nimanimani. It's a good narration. Uh, Druv. Uh, Laktawala would have been a particularly nasty opponent for Kurorushi. So the cockroach had decided to enter a dormant state. Kurorushi has an endless appetite, and eating stimulates parthenogenesis. Having just awakened, Kurorushi found itself starving. Okotsu interrupted its meal, so Kurorushi's instincts directed it to devour him. It says a player has a cursed spirit. Says other players use broad attacks to attack people indiscriminately. They must not be allowed to leave the barrier. There are probably more players like them in other colonies as well. We can't allow any to leave until they're eliminated. So communication between colonies is also necessary. In addition to the two rules that Fushiguro proposed, we need a means of communication and a way to travel in and out of colonies. That's a total of at least four rules to get this situation under control. Shibuya exhausted everyone. Physically and emotionally, they've reached their limit. Sensei, I won't let you kill your best friend a second time. I will kill Kenjaku, and by myself, I will obtain 400 points. We get Kurorushi using Festering Life Sword. Then we get narration, the Festering Life Sword, an enchanted blade that mixes life and death. And that is the end of the chapter. Uh, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Jujutsu Kaisen continues to be the most consistent uh, manga in Jump, introducing amazing characters, uh, reintroducing ones we haven't seen forever. I am in love. I, uh, it's a sore woman, I put a ring on it. <laughs> Even though my hero is the one I do love the most, I mean, I will say I consistently love Jujutsu Kaisen more. Uh, so we'll move on from there to Kaiju number 8. Uh, episode 55, A Chaotic Calamity Mars the Scene. Uh, the Scenery. So we start uh, with Kafka's old gang of cleanup crews, you know, cleaning up after battle, saying, you know, the security forces have everything under control. They believe in Kafka as well. Uh, we see Kikuro uh, training as well as Narami is watching. says, ah, I'm so bored. I wonder when you'll reach the level where I'll personally be your opponent. All of the platoon leaders in the first unit have what it takes to be promoted to commander in the future. In roughly a month until I clear this game, you must surpass all of those people. Unless you're prodigies of that level, you won't make it in time. Let's start the game. And he's told by his assistant to start working himself. Uh, Kikuro looks at the uh, platoon leader Shinonome Shino she was sparring with says, Can we please go at it once more? And she says, Come now. And they go at it. And uh, Narumi's assistant asks, Have you come to a decision about Kaiju number 8? Now that Mr. Isao is no longer around, whether we accept him as a part of our military strength or not is up to you. So they're told that the monsterization on Kafka is progressing rapidly, and there's some parts of him that will probably never come back to becoming a human. If he keeps going this way, he won't become a human anymore. So Kafka later on by himself is looking at his hands, says they probably already know about this hand. 
I wonder if they'll let, still let me fight regardless. I don't ever want to see my comrades being hurt again as he sees Kukuro crying, so that I have to defeat number nine. But an army appears, sits in a bench next to him, and says, I'll get straight to the point. I can't let you stay in a defense force. You should know the reason why. If you continue to transform, there's a chance you might not be able to turn back into a human. I can't let someone who's in that sort of situation fight. But, keeping that in mind, let me just tell you one thing. Lend us your strength, Kafka Habino. Who cares if you completely turn into a monster? All I have to do is kill you when that time comes. But I don't care about that. I want to kill number nine, no matter what it takes. You think the same, don't you? Our true feelings of regret can only be understood by us, the people who were there at that scene. There's no way stopping here would be an answer for you. And Kafka says, Command an army, there's a place I'm aiming for. The chief pushed past all the opposing voices and connected a path for me to reach my goal. I'm ready. And Narmi says, Okay, I see. He starts picking his ear. Then come. From here on, it's our turn. As we flash over to Tokyo, uh, where we see that... Oh, gosh. Uh, your name... It's been... Uh, uh, Hoshina. Hoshina. Thank God. <laughs> Uh, in a uh, lab says, Oh, you're finally awake. You've been sleeping well. Kaiju number 10. As you look into that, and it's back to tank. And that's the end of Kaiju number 8. For right now. Ah. Feels good. We got some Kaiju action coming up. I'm all for it. Uh, moving on to next. We do leave on a bittersweet moment. As I'm sure you're all aware of now. Uh, Magu-chan has ended. And these are the final two chapters. Uh, this is chapter 76, Magu-chan, God of Destruction. We start with Ruru going to school. Magu says, oh, I'm going to miss walking to school. What nonsense do you speak, lowly human? Do you lament over journeying to my dominion? You're the one not making sense, Magu-chan. Today is the last day of school. Of all the ridiculous! There's nothing ridiculous about it. Today is the graduation ceremony. So they go off to do that. Uh, they reminisce about everything. Izuma asks the, uh, tells them he's grateful for them helping them out. As uh, the Chaos Cult's Dr. Akamura says, it's too soon to let your guard down. What you face so far is nothing compared to high school classes. <laughs> and he starts crying. <laughs> says, Once I get my license to teach in high school, I swear I will transfer there too. Until then, don't slack off on your studies, holy knight. <laughs> and Magu's um, talking to Uneris and Napu, saying a graduation ceremony. It's some kind of rite of passage to my disciple fears. Nair says, I can't pass up such an important event. Nappa says, I've been waiting it, awaiting this day, too. I won't let you two outdo me. I shall exert my reign over this rite of passage to the lowly human's call, a graduation ceremony. Ruby is thinking, in the midst of this, uh, on everything that happens, she sees Rin's family, and then her mom is there, too, wondering, oh, she took time off for work. <laughs> we get <laughs> divine generals <laughs> filming everything <laughs> with Uneris. It's Izum's it's, it's first time on stage. Record every moment of you ten divine general cuties. Izum, uh, looking good. He's thinking, this sucks. And we see Ren upset because Napu is, <laughs> is offering food. <laughs> and this is the ceremony, selling it. He says, I'll make a fortune. But uh, his older sister Rin takes him away. And something think that Skildabar is filming the scene. And Muscar appears and says, What are you fools doing? You're making a scene. And what about you? Anaris asks, Why are you sneaking around like that? There's no dignity in attracting attention in this form. What evil gods, or have you forgotten? Uh, you're here too, Nosokushu. 
And she says, oh, I heard that this principal's long-winded speeches have a soporific effect. Is that what you think graduation ceremonies are for? <laughs> Pipe down, little squid riding hood. <laughs> oh, man, the comedy is just so great. As Magu then appears to give the address, having taken over. It's just, I am Mog Manuik, god of destruction. Gather under me, lowly humans. Why do you wear such gloomy expressions? Give praise, for you are about to depart to a new domain. Take pride in the honor of having been chosen to be my followers. There is no obstacle in your futures that cannot be destroyed. And everyone starts clapping. <laughs> and Ruru doesn't have time to make a sign, so she grabs her congrats graduate and ties Magu up. Says, says, why do you treat me like this? But just because I'm graduating doesn't mean it's okay to make a scene. But then again, your speech stopped me from crying. Thanks, Magu-chan. Praise me for my glorious deed. <laughs> and move on to Sarah, uh, who is very upset that everyone's leaving since she's younger than them. Uh, everyone, they're going to leave the occult club room as well since they're getting older. <laughs> Napu's able to make a deal for the ten divine generals and their parents. And uh, Rue is asked by Rin, like, hey, did you decide your goal for the future like we were discussing before? She says, yeah, I want to be a mom. And he freaks out, and Yaris is laughing behind him. I mean, like my mom. She's a doctor and helps all sorts of people. I also want to be a source of strength to others, like she is. Though I probably can't be a doctor. And so, Magu-chan, will you listen to my wish? To pay, pay back everyone for how they've helped me, and help restore you into a god who everyone can acknowledge? Let's help all sorts of people together from now on. We'll destroy the worries of anyone in trouble. Worry-destroying gods. How's that sound? Very well. There's nothing that I cannot destroy. This is good. I'm counting on you, partner. And then leave. Uh, Uneris takes a picture of everyone. And the mistress there. <laughs> Magu tries to destroy everything. So everyone descends upon him. We get a very nice picture. The shark is flying in the background. <laughs> Yuffie Susu also appears as well. And we get, this is the end of Magu-chan. Got a destruction. But wait, there's more. To the actual final chapter, uh, which is chapter 77, He Waits, Dreaming. And wow, this hit pretty hard. So we get narration. In a quiet rural town somewhere, the everyday life of a human and a god continued. In this land where the winds of evil gods hold influence, the god of destruction continued to watch over a girl for the sake of granting her her wish. As their mundane daily lives went on, the whole gang graduated, went to high school, and started down new paths. The seeds of distress that infested the town uh, were erratic, uh, and as the two took to destroying the worries of others, they met countless people. Of course, there were challenges along the way. The chaos cult, angels of mayhem, fights with new superior beings, uh, the trials of everyday life. They always took on every challenge together, and together they got through their days. There were goodbyes. We see Nabutaku leaving to start his own stall. Uh, tearful farewells to those setting off to make their dreams come true. And then we see Ruru getting married later on with Magu standing in for her dad. It's like, God, I lost it there when I read this first time. Uh, and there were new friends to be made as well. We see Ruru having a little child. And in time, the young girl grew up and had a family. That family, too, grew up. And once again, she was alone. The God of Destruction continued to watch over her. He never stopped. We see her in a hospital bed as Magu's asking, Can you hear me, my disciple? She says, Yes. The sunset was glorious this evening. The stars in the sky shined exceptionally. She says, Magu-chan, thank you for destroying my loneliness. You made my dream come true. 
He says, wait, please don't go yet. As the narration continues, she peacefully fell asleep and breathed her last breath. While her family grieved her passing, the god of destruction disappeared without a word. And so, the unfeeling god of destruction learned for the first time ever what it felt like to be lonely. As we then see an older Izuma saying Magmanuik, I apologize for spoiling the mood. Anera says, Now that you've lost the yoke known as Ruru, you may pose a threat to humanity. Izuma started crying, says, As the leader of the Holy Knights, I must seal you away. If you resist, then I will have no choice but to fight you. And Magu says, It's been a while, Holy Knight. A fight will not be necessary. I have grown a little weary. I think I'll rest for a while. As he started to cry, too. He looks over at Muscar and says, Muscar, take the seal to the depths of the ocean where the light cannot reach. And uh, Koshi says, uh, Consider this my parting gift. Sweetest dreams to you. Good night, Magu-chan, as he is sealed away and thrown in the ocean. I was awake for not even 100 years, and in my days had never been so busy. I will dream a dream, over and over and over again. As we see Ruru there in a dream with him. We've sure been through a lot, huh? This might be the first time I've ever seen you sleep, Magu-chan. I'll wake you up for once. He says, I thought you were dead. Well, I'm no ghost. You were crying because I died, weren't you? I always knew you had a soft side. Hmm? I do not cry. Is this a dream? Who knows? Maybe the reason why I'm here is because you watched over me with that big eye of yours and never forgot me. I'll always be with you. That way, you won't be lonely anymore. He says, I see. This is no dream. Deep in the recesses of my destructive eye, you do indeed still exist. Good morning, Magu-chan. Let's go for a walk. As some unknown time later, uh, the crystal is put onto the shore. A little girl touches it. He says, my seal has been broken. And the girl says, huh? That gem gave birth to an octopus? No, my name is Magmanuik. Who are you? State your name. Magune, Magu, what? Okay then, Magu-chan. I'm Rudy. You can call me Rudy-chan. Hey, Magu-chan. I live in the middle of nowhere and don't have many friends. Do you want to play with me? You wish something at me? Very well. Then grip me offerings, you foolish, lowly human. <laughs> Sorry, I'm... I, it still hurts. <laughs> I mean, as silly as that is over this series. I am going to miss Magu-chan immensely. It is... Just that perfect blend of uh, of comedy and and wholesomeness and you know love between friends with a bunch of eldritch gods and abominations <laughs> thrown into the mix. Um, gosh, and I'm especially sad today because I read the Shugamaru chapter, uh, which it's sad reading Shugamaru anyways. Can't wait for that to be gone. But uh, apparently. Uh, Kamiki is that the name of the mangaka? Uh, I'm, you know how bad my memory is. Actually wrote sections of that manga with Magu and Napu and Uneris in there. And despite the fact that it was in Shugamaru, it was still kind of touching to see them in there. So, yet another roller coaster of emotions having to deal with. So, I mean, especially... I guess the reason I'm really feeling uh, as uh, emotional about it overall is because of what's going on in my life. I mean, uh, I'm about to lose the second grandparent in only uh, two months. So, 
I mean, unless something really changes in that direction, which doesn't seem to be the case. Thank you, Magu-chan, for everything. I mean, if anything, you kind of deserve to be shouted out more than Hunter's Guild. But Hunter's Guild makes me laugh, and you kind of make me sad right now. So I don't think I'll be doing that. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm going to move on before I start crying. <laughs> We're going to go to something that'll make me cry laughing. Uh, Mash Bernadette. Excuse me, Mashal, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 94, Mash Bernadette and the Water God's Fury. So we start with Finn uh, coming on a battle saying, Water Magic, he controls one of the four classical elements that makes him the toughest opponent Mash has, yet, has faced yet. As he uses, Dominic uses the spell Water's Prison, which surrounds Mash in a sphere of water. He's saying, glub, glub. <laughs> he starts trying to swim through it. Uh, the water in that cage flows opposite to your direction of movement. You'll always be swimming against the current, so it's impossible to escape. To escape. Blub, 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 <laughs> Even now, you joke around. You really know how to get under my skin. Blub, blub. And he uses water's second. His second? So soon? And there's so many, you can't possibly dodge them all. Those are high-powered jets of water. In that escape-proof cage, you have one option, to get skewered. Thousand archer fish! As it go, Mash then brings his fingers around, and then, like you're kind of using water to squirt with your hands, uh, squirts that and then deflects every single one of them. <laughs> and Dominic thinks, he's using my water against me to counter the force of my second, as one of the water attacks almost hits him. And Mash escapes, punches him in the face. Dominic says, impossible. Mash says, you don't seem that tough. And Dominic says, my second. Now Father's not Father's not going to like me. This is... This is wrong! Summon Poseidon, god of water, as his wand turns into his magnificent trident. It says, Father and I share a bond. I've given everything to him. Meanwhile, you've been wasting your time on friendship and other nonsense. And then disappears into the water. It says, I deserve to be happier than you. He appears behind Mash. says, Trident Rain! Stabs him. And Mash then uses deltoid magic, barbarian punch. And there's a huge... Epic scene of the water colliding in every direction from the force of the blow. And Innocent Zero from afar says, Oh, Domina has been angered. He can move beside it as if it were a true natural disaster. When he sheds his calm demeanor, his original power comes forth. He's unlikely to stop until he's slaughtered everyone around him. Even I have no means of quelling his temper. Mash Bernadette, with no magic to speak of, will be helpless against him as we see Mash has been skewered from behind. And Dominic says, my love for father is real. It's your love for your friends and family. That's fake. And you'll never... He realizes the trident's gone. And it's been stabbed through his leg. He says, you actually broke off a piece of the trident and pierced my thigh with it? He says, Mash says, if you lose to me, what are you going to tell daddy? <laughs> and Dominic says, I'm going to annihilate you. Which then brings us to... Uh, chapter 95, uh, Mash Bernadette and the Gods of Water. We get narration. Thirds, the ultimate magic. Amongst the triple liners, who themselves number only one in several million, are a few, only a few are capable of commanding this ultra-high-level magic. The use of thirds is rare even among the divine visionaries. Those who manifest it are sure to go down in history. For the magic of thirds itself is a miracle, one that can truly be said to be the power of the gods. Dominus says in the present, You dare mock my relationship with Father? You must want me to use my full power to decimate you. And Water surrounds him. He says, Water's third. Poseidon's Angus. Inclination. 
And Mesh says, what now? <laughs> now he says, show me how you prevent this world's demise. And I'll show you that I'm the only one worthy of Father's recognition. <clears throat> and Mesh tries to deflect and says, wow, he's really living in his own head, huh? <laughs> and Mesh tries to punch him, but water replaces him before he gets in the way. Um, so Domina then reappears, reassembling his body. Uh, it's just the power of a god. I'm untouchable. And Finn, commentating, says, Has he become the water? How do you fight that? Domina continues, Now that my thirds are active, Poseidon has turned me into water itself, and Poseidon has a very short fuse. He becomes enraged whenever my body is struck. Enrage him thrice, and you will be subjected to... No human could possibly complete, compete with this level of power. Tried it rain as he stabs Mash multiple times. Finn says, this is awful. The only way to stop that flurry of spears is by attacking him. But if Mash does that, then Poseidon's wrath will grow. There's no way out. Then Mash says, hamstrings magic. Big bang dash. <laughs> he targets Poseidon with the attack. But Domini says, it's no use as Poseidon reassembles himself. He says, you can't stop him without defeating me. That's right. You're caught in an endless loop. You've already lost. As he hits Mash with an attack to force him up. He says, you nicked me with that crouching start. That was your third strike. And Finn says, up in the air like that, Mash can't make any moves. Uh, Dominus says, Poseidon's wrath will return all to nothing. This is the end. Angus's roar. And Mash is smashed down to the ground. Finn thinks, I've never seen Mash receive such a one-sided trouncing before. Dominic continues, do you see now? This is why the gods are feared and revered by their believers. Their power is beyond anything humans could ever hope to achieve, and magic users are said to be descended from the gods. A magicless human like you will never be strong enough to topple a god. <laughs> He's been punched multiple times by Mash. He says, oh wait, what was that sudden shift? It only seems to be, it's actually kind of like the uh, killing intent. And Mash said, kind of pushes himself up, says, Pops, told me never to do this, but it doesn't seem like I've got a choice. Time to unleash my full power. <laughs> I love how Mash would use something in Shonen. Like, you know, Goku throwing off his training weights. Was it the 23rd Budokai when he first did it? Somewhere thereabouts. And it's, it's so brilliant. Um, at that moment, when you're reading it for the first time, as a trainer fan, oh my gosh, I mean, this whole time, those things were weighing him down, dulling his strikes? That's so awesome. But then you see it again. And again. And again. And it just becomes so cliche. Like, But then when MASH uses it, <laughs> it becomes awesome because of how stupid it is. I love the series. I'm ready for it. So Domino's going down at some point. Uh, Innocent Zero looks like he's still recuperating, so I don't think he's going to intervene. So will Mash win and become a Divine Visionary? Not, who knows? Uh, we'll see. We're looking forward to it. <clears throat> uh, from there, we will go to My Hero Academia. This will be uh, excuse me, number 342. The extreme quiet before the storm. So we start with all for one, uh, you know, saying that uh, sending information to his spies on the inside, like you want to make this place inhospitable for Yuzuka Midoriya. Uh, the rest of Class One A has spent some time training. 
and uh, in the midst of this, Deku is looking at uh, Ochako and says, Oh, there's barely been any time to talk. I haven't been able to thank her properly. But before he can say anything, All Might appears and says, I am here! Just like every day! And Jiro says, Oh, what's up? You're full of energy, I see. Just the opposite! And uh, Sato is Sugar Rush? Yeah, yeah. Detective Sukoichi and the principal, too. Mama says, Does this concern the situation with Aoyama? And All Might says, It's about what comes next. I'm only informing select individuals now. It's time to discuss our final plans for the second pivotal war. We move on. We see they're still planning. The heroes with Ragdoll and everything. We see that they're going to be using... Um, oh, gosh. Why is it... Why are you failing me right now, memory? His name was uh, uh, Kurogiri. Yes. Uh, Kurogiri is being used at some point for this operation as well. <clears throat> We get the next day. Did you hear the principal's announcement this morning? Yeah, apparently Tomura Shigaraki is going to make a big move in just four days. We see the spies from before say, oh, oh, well, we got what we wanted. And Class 1A says, you know, we'd like to thank you all for everything. As they bow their heads to the civilians. And Koto Pierce says, Midori, are you really leaving the school again? He says, yes. You've given me more than enough downtime to clean myself up. We get Snipe saying, you folks' safety is the goal we're shooting for. So all we're asking is that y'all are in the right frame of mind if and when it's time to go. Go with the evac system. <clears throat> and we get the, the spy saying, oh, these honest fools. You could have made the big men's life so much harder by shutting their traps and keeping the boy protected here. We didn't plan it this way, but now our mission is sure to succeed. This way, our future is guaranteed. Then we see uh, Deku uh, hugging his mom, uh, Todoroki speaking with... You know, his mother, his sister, and brother. <clears throat> Ochako with her parents. Jiro with hers. Nezu is escorting a recovery girl who seems to be more infirm right now. Uh, based on this picture, that's probably because she's been healing a lot of people. And that might be very draining. See present Mike and Eri. Bakugo with his parents. Uh, Shoji actually talking to the, the giant uh, uh, fox woman that Deku had saved. I'm guessing because they're heteromorphs, the both of them. Uh, Deku then uh, is talking to both Kota and Eri. And we see the star guy who had cheered Deku on. You know, pumping his fist. We get 30 kilometers from UA. Makeshift Fortress Troy. <laughs> Makeshift Fortress Troy. Which is a terrible name for any building. <laughs> It'd be like, you know, naming your, your next ship the Titanic. You know, like why? So we get, uh, your home away from home went up in the blink of an eye, thanks to Cementos, Power Loader, and Ectoplasm. You can't hold a candle to the UA itself, but it's sturdy enough. There's a snipe saying, now toss your cargo in your new rooms and in gear. And you get uh, Hagakure saying, wow, so faithful to the Heights Alliance design. Jiro says, truly. Uh, Sarah says, maybe the last place we'll ever lay our heads. Let's hope not. Sasha says, don't even joke. What a terrible thing to say. But in the midst of all this, Adeku uh, sees... Uh, Ochako just staring out into the distance. He then jumps down to her and says, Uraraka. says, oh, Deku, you all unpacked? Yeah, I hardly bought anything. Same, just some spare clothes. And they both stare out together. He says, Uraraka, thank you for what you did. Sorry I couldn't find a moment to say anything until now, but thank you. I mean it. She starts scratching her head, all flustered, says, Ah, oh, no, that was nothing, you know. You never change, huh? Always sweating the small stuff. says, so, what you doing out here? says, just looking at the city. Um, <clears throat> she says, I'm kind of weird. 
Weird? You're not weird. You're strong and brave with a hairdo that's perfect for you, not to mention kind and honest. And she says, that's not what I meant. Didn't see that coming. Uh, back there, when I was shouting from the top of UA out of nowhere, thoughts of Himiko Toga popped into my head. We fought, you know, just me and her during Gigantomachia's rampage. She said something, and I fired back with stuff I thought was obvious. Stuff I take for granted. She looked so sad hearing that. Look what they did to the city. She's a villain who helped them snuff out people's lives, their happiness. The thought of just forgiving her? Nah, we're way past that point. Of course I know that, but still... She's a person, too. And I have no clue what's obvious for her. Like what she takes for granted. I got to thinking about how I don't know the first thing about Himiko Toka. So yeah, I'm just out here taking a gander at the city. So I'll never forget the horrors I saw that day. And to keep those weird, silly thoughts out of my head. And uh, Izuku says, oh, same, I mean... I saw a little boy inside of Shigaraki. He was crying. Maybe there's no way to avoid a battle, but I can't ignore what I saw deep inside him. And she says, I guess both of us are kind of weird. <laughs> we get a nice scene with Todoroki being uh, cheered up by Bakugo. And she's, uh, they both say, Deku and Odoraka say, we'll put a stop to them for sure. And we get narration the day of the operation, all for one saying, shall we? This was a nice chapter for my hero. Some of them were a little more down ever since the traitor reveal happened, but it was really good to see, have this really great moment between uh, Deku and Ochako. It's something that's been needing to happen. Like It's kind of obvious they both like each other, but there's not really been a lot devoted to their actual relationship building up, and to have this nice moment between the two of them is something that would definitely help that out uh, when it's fleshed out later on, hopefully more. Probably not, because this is shonen. <laughs> so we'll move from there to One Piece. Uh, this is chapter 10... Uh, 10,000. <laughs> I want to do this every time. 1,038. If Oda is still drawing at 10,000, like that man's become a cyborg at that point in time. Uh, this is Kid in Law versus Big Mom. Uh, so we start with the paralysis which is still going on. Uh, Jen Baden saves some people from falling debris as he notices that the flames are uh, still continuing to spread. Uh, Chopper has come as well uh, to heal as many people as possible. Uh, telling him, hey, don't worry about Zoro. Uh, in exchange for a temporary burst of extreme healing, he'll have to suffer twice the damage later, right? I hope he was able to win his fight. I mean, he was so injured he couldn't move, and now it's double? He's not going to die, is he? <laughs> As Zoro's looking up, and he seems what seems to be the Grim Reaper. <laughs> says, What's going on? My body won't move. No, stop. Don't do it. And uh, personally with this, uh, my guess is that he's seeing Brooke <laughs> standing on top of Robin for some reason, wielding the scythe. Uh, I don't think this is the actual Grim Reaper, which would be really weird to add it here, but I mean, Oda's got an Oda, so I mean, I I'm along for Oda's crazy ride. Uh, we move on to uh, Frankie wondering where Zoro is. Uh, <clears throat> as uh, this is, yeah, Izo has then uh, stumbled upon Cypher Pole. No, CP0. It's a, oh, sorry, I lost my place there for a moment. As we move over to Yamato, and this is one of those chapters where 10 million things are happening, so I apologize if I'm kind of flaky on this. Just thinking, please be in time, please be in time. She gets there, 
Man, and please stop. If this much gunpowder explodes it at once, we're all done for. Don't touch those explosives. Maharoba. And she manages to block it. And we go back to Law and Kid fighting against Big Mom. And they're both looking worse for wear. She's not looking great either. She says, silence you runts. This is a battlefield. God of lightning, Tinjin. And then managed to electrocute her own men. <laughs> she says, I've yet to hear a roar of victory from Kaido up above. You better not still be up there playing patty cake with that straw hat boy, Kaido. She says, Hera, take me up to the roof. She says, yes, mama. Even I'm getting tired now. It's time to put an end to this. But before she can do that, both Kit and Law managed to use their powers to uh, cause her to fall. They're being, she's being pulled towards the ground. She says, what a huge bull. It's even bigger than Big Mom's giant form. Uh, listen to me, old hag. It's, I'd rather die than let you go to the roof. 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 The roof. <laughs> As she has fallen to the floor. Uh, if you read the end of that chapter originally, it's like, oh, is she down for good? Yeah, no, she's not. Uh, this continues to chapter 1039, top billing. We go over to Momonosuke, who is trying to keep everything together. He says, I will not allow this thing to drop on the city. And he says, wait, is someone calling out to me? And we get everyone freaking out, like, oh no, Big Mom has been uh, put that down. It's been uh, taken down to the ground. Uh, both Law and Kid start uh, fighting with each other. And Big Mom gets herself back up. Says a shockwave from the inside. Feels like I cracked some ribs too. Gotta watch out for Trafalgar's roofs. They're dangerous. Here, I'll give you life. Come back to me, Bones. And she infuses them with life. And Law says, I'm going to be honest with you. No jokes. The next round is going to be the last one for me. I won't have any strength ever in my next attack. But I guarantee you it won't miss. So I need you to. And he says, I just told you to not give me orders. <laughs> It's so nice to see the, the two of them uh, continuing despite the circumstances here. Uh, she, uh, Big Mom then brings Prometheus, Napoleon, and Hera to her master saber to attack all of them. So, that's nothing. This is just scrap to begin with. My, 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 you're nothing. This, the time for dreaming is over. Listen up, you brats. We've sunk hundreds of people just like you into the sea. We've been reigning as emperors for decades, since the days before you were weaned off of your mother's milk. Uh, get a kid using a sign. And Big Mom falls again as she is hit by the bull once more. She says, I, and a, a homie says, Mama, look out, I can't get loose. And uh, once more she stands up, says, She stood up, tower and all? That's just ridiculous. Why would you put all this extra weight on my back? She asks. Mother's physic cannon. 3,000 leagues of misery. As she once more attacks her own men to get more life force. <clears throat> she says, Keep going, misery. Destroy those little... She's then hit by more of the building from above. Uh, Law then jumps up, tries to, and then stabs her and says, Not you again, Trafalgar! We move down to the underground armory where Yamato is there. Uh, looking at everything, she's noticed a sword penetrating from above. Says, so you think you're hot stuff, Big Mom says. You want, don't want to let go? He says, Not yet. I must go deeper. What's wrong? Give up the ghost already? Oh, it's, it's his puncture. Will! As the sword continues to go down, Big Mom has uh, <laughs> a very good freak out face. <laughs> she says, Burn him to mis death, misery. Says, Yes, Mama. 
But then he says, do it, Eustace! So what is that? As kid, as now made from the bull, a giant railgun. He says, how many times do I have to tell you, Trafalgar? You don't give me orders! The mama looks at it and says, oh, give me all you got then. You think you can beat me? I'm Big Mom. And he says, and that's why we're getting rid of you. As he shoots the railgun, <laughs> says, your era is over. Okay. I, Oda's winning me more and more on this Trafalgar uh, Law and uh, Eustace Skid fight with Big Mom. I mean, you put a railgun in, uh, <laughs> I mean, sure, what am I supposed to say to that? I mean, Mashal already proved me right. I mean, uh, a certain scientific railgun has already jumped up to one of my favorite series of all time. <laughs> I guess I'm a, I'm a sucker for railguns. <laughs> oh, man, One Piece. What an excellent series. I'm so glad I called up forever ago. But enough of that. We'll move on to One Punch Man. This is chapter 157. We start with uh, Flashy Flash freaking out because he's already met in a single day four people who outspeed me. We see Garo, uh, Platinum Sperm, uh, Blast, and Saitama as he's in the midst of fighting Platinum uh, Sperm and Garo. It says, impossible. I refuse to accept this. Battle continues. Uh, Platinum says, so this is the best a human can do. Pathetic. Drifting Shadow Kick. As Garo comes in as well, says, you're wide open. As he punches Flash Flash, getting nervous. The same thing happened in that dark shine when someone outmuscled him. This is Platinum. Uh, he desperately tried to cling to his pride and protect it. In the end, you heroes are all the same. A hero that truly wants to save weak people doesn't exist. And Flashy Flash is thrown into the ground. Manaka tries to go after him. Garo and Platinum go at it. It's just you and me now. As we get... Uh, real quick, I'm trying to remember time. I, if I remember correctly, this is supposed to be thousandths? of a second here as it's going like like seven thousandth or however the heck that works the two remaining lightning trails uh, lighting trails started to move even faster three beams of light drew an incredibly dense structure across the sky uh, with no one in sight at that acceleration just like Garo's impulse and Platinum is hit to the ground by Garo Platinum freaks out says Garo says don't mind me just passing through and rips through Platinum as we pass over to Tatsumaki on the ground, who seems to see Blast in front of her, says, Here, I'll lend you my power so we can crush those monsters together. But she remembers something he had said to her originally. When the time comes, don't expect anyone to come save you. And she asks, Who are you? And Blast's face turns into God's. And then disappears. Right as Blast appears to protect her, says, Tatsumaki, Oh my, you're a mess. You've grown so much. And she's actually smiling. Which is a weird look. And King freaks out and says, uh, uh, What? Who's this guy? And Saitama says, Hey, is that the guy there blasts? Is he bringing uh, uh, the Puri Puri prisoner over to the rest of them? And King says, B -b -b Blast! <laughs> and Jenna says, Blast? He was real after all? Blaston says, I was barely able to keep him at bay. He must have latched on to me, taking advantage of the fact that the cube had made me fall into a gap in time. Ah, you must be King Kuhn. King says, Oh, that's right. <laughs> he puts a serious face on. He says, Take care of Tatsumaki. I'll get going now. I have to aid them in battle. Look, who's them? And he says, I'm not alone. There are many people who fight alongside me. As we see a group of heroes that I'm fairly certain... Well, then again, these blast scenes weren't in the webcomic that much either, if I remember correctly. 
a group of heroes in a sphere uh, that he enters. Uh, presumably fighting bigger threats than than God. <laughs> or God's minions. I mean, who knows? King says, oh, wait. He vanished? As King leaves the battle, Garo senses something coming from the earth as we see a giant spear that is actually uh, leading up to another giant centipede. This one is Hermit Centipede, the great monster. She says, Listen well, you insolent little creatures. We've been sent forward to erase the abominable fists that rebel against God himself. I, the Avatar of Father Earth. Along with the Avatar of Mother Sea, we will bring about the divine punishment that shall wipe you from this planet. We see evil natural water in the ocean there. Garo then attacks. This is a disgusting thing. And, well, uh, that is the... The... One punch man. Ah, what an experience. Uh, now we're on to 158. Uh, where we see, you know, a news film. Uh, a helicopter is, you know, uh, watching over things. We see some evacuation done with the other heroes. Garo uh, protects the helicopter because he sees... Uh, what was his name? Tereo? Yeah, Tereo. Uh, yeah, there's a little... Bo oh, no, wait a second. Am I in the right chapter? I, I can't remember if I said 156 and 157 or not. And I, I might have said 158 because that's the one that just released... And I haven't had the time, like, to, you know, whatever. Um, so we're on 157. So my apologies for that. I'm all over the place today. What else is new? Uh, Garo then goes up against uh, the Great Centipede, who's then using the attack called Great Centipede Military March. Great Oceanic Cannon, combining an attack with Evil Natural Ocean. Says, you insignificant insect, not so tough now, are you? Is ha Saitama started running on water. <laughs> this serious series, serious punch as he punches evil natural ocean and obliterates him. <laughs> Great centipede says, uh, "What on earth?" And Saitama says, "Stick your stupid water game somewhere else. I've had enough of them." As the uh, nuclear uh, carrier from a while back is about to be crashed on the waves, but Saitama then lands on it and starts using it as a surfboard <laughs> to save them. And Herbert Centipede says, she's dead? Just what the hell's going on? A tectonic shift? And Garo then attacks him from behind as Metal Bat attacks him from the front. Says, Fired up. Dragon thrashing! It says, oh, it's too sturdy. <laughs> it spins out of the way. Garo says, Metal Bat? And he goes, wait, you're the hero hunter. What the hell are you doing here? You think you can get in my way again? And Garo says, I don't have time for this. He says, what? Wait, you what? Looks like you fully monsterized, huh? Finally showing your true colors? As they start chasing after each other. <laughs> Garo trying to run away. He says, he won't get away this time. Uh, so annoying, looking for a fight at a time like this. And the film crew continues uh, going after this. They're about to be attacked as Garo saves them. <laughs> <laughs> so looking incredibly demonic says, Get lost! It then looks like he's going to attack Metal Bat, but then goes after Hermit Centipede instead. Uh, Metal Bat says, What's the deal with you? Even though you're a monster, you're attacking that centipede. Not only that, but you also helped the helicopter evacuate just now. You're even more sensible now than when you were human. Gar says, Shut up. Don't get it twisted. The only reason I'm doing this is to show the world how much they should fear the great Garo. No time to waste on idle talk. 
That centipede is targeting the rescue helicopter. The brats you rescued are aboard. We'll buy some time for the heli to escape safely. It's not like I expect anything from a hero like you. We should at least make for some decent bait. <laughs> Metalback kicks him. Says, and just who the hell do you think you are busting me around like that? I couldn't care less if you're a good guy now. There's no way I'm joining hands with the guy who beat the hell out of me. What's more, it was your fault that I failed to kill a centipede back then. I'm doing this alone, so stand back, you idiot. Gar says, and what's someone who got beaten to the ground by my human form going to do exactly? We don't have time for selfish whims. Saving those kids should be our top priority. What kind of S-class hero are you? And Hermit Centipede, tired of the crap, says, uh, what are you little insects yapping on about? They both say, shut up! A metal bat hits him with the bat. Garo kicks him. Says, and the news team goes, take a good look at the instant this evil monster attacked the news team. Luckily, they were able to escape unscathed. What's your take on this? Can the S-class heroes on site deal with this threat? What a terrifying creature. All we can all we can right now do is pray that the heroes deal with the situation swiftly. We see uh Suika Suiko in Suyu in the hospital. She says, Oh my, there's no way they managed to escape from the guy and get onto a high flying helicopter. And Suyu says, But the heli didn't crash, right? I can't quite put my finger on why, but I feel like this guy didn't really want to kill those reporters. Yes. Are you sure of that? See <laughs> the demonic face they saw. And that's the end of the chapter. So One Punch Man uh, really winning yet again on just how great it is. We'll go to our final manga of the night, which will be Spy Family. This is Mission 59. So we start uh, with Becky watching one of her soaps, then seeing an image of Lloyd, who she has an immense crush on. She calls Anya's house, says, Hi, is that you, Anya? I was just shopping out in your neighborhood, so if it's so it's okay if I drop by your house, right? It's fine, you say? Great, see you soon. And she's right outside the door. Says, hey, Anya, how's it going? Uh, you're not home alone, right? Are your parents here? And Anya asks, how did you hear so fast, Becky? Can you teleport? <laughs> she says, she thinks, I couldn't wait a moment longer. Today's the day that I meet my Lloyd and confess my love to him. <laughs> and her butler's thinking, homewrecking is a no-no, madam. <laughs> Anya says, Papa, Becky's here. And he says, oh, hello there, welcome. And she thinks, that's my Lloyd, in the flesh. And her butler says, yeah, remember your ma uh, manners, madam. And she bows, says, thank you for having me. Says, I'm so terribly sorry for coming unannounced like this. Lloyd says, oh, it's no problem at all. I'm sure Anya is delighted to have one of her friends visit. And he smiles and says, welcome to our home, Becky, and thank you for being such a good friend to Anya. <laughs> and Anya, reading Becky's thought as she starts blushing, just sees a bunch of emojis. <laughs> She's thinking... <laughs> uh, X with dots, tic-tac-toe, triangle, and sign thingy, uh, smiley face, hot bath and heart, some kind of secret code. <laughs> as Becky then collapses from the midst of this, and Anya goes, mm, I've seen something like this before. And she thinks of, what was her name, Nightfall? Was that her name? I can't remember. It's uh, the butler leaves, and Lloyd looks at her and says, Hmm, that servant carries herself like a former soldier, an experienced one at that. <laughs> because, of course, he can't turn himself off of the mission. And Anya says, Want to go explore my home? And Becky says, Now that you mention it, this is the first time I've come inside. <clears throat> And I says, this is our living room. What, this isn't one of your four years uh, storage vestibules? <laughs> you get a nice Anya panel of her uh, looking upset and not understanding. And this is my room. Wow, this is even smaller than uh, Weasel's or Vizel's doghouse. <laughs> and Anya says, uh, let's not explore anymore. Well, are you sure? So where's your mom anyway? Oh, she's walking Bond. And Becky thinks, oh, then this is my chance. <laughs> And she's having an imagined spot where Lloyd says, Oh, we mustn't, Becky. I already have a wife. But was, it was your parents that arranged this marriage. <laughs> yes, but with my charm, I'll make you forget all about her. Oh, Becky. 
<laughs> Anya has a vision of what it would be like to have Becky as her mother. And Becky thinks, I bet even Anya would be delighted to have me as her mom. Let's move to a more spacious home. A castle. World-class chefs will cook our every meal. Let's go to school together, Anya. Mama. <laughs> the servants will handle all our pesky chores. Let's go out and play. <laughs> she, she may have a point. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mama, but world-class chefs. I'm just going to help Becky a little, little tiny bit. Papa, Papa, come play with us. And Becky thinks, nice assist, Anya. Uh, when you say play, oh, uh, maybe you could just talk with us? Uh, Mr. Forger, my name is uh, Becky Blackbell. Oh, yes, of course I know that, Black Becky. And I'm just thinking, world-class chefs, world-class chefs. Because <laughs> anything's better than yours cooking at this point. And Lois says, after all, the Blackbell family is quite renowned. Even before you and Anya became classmates, I knew who you were. He thinks a potentially important source of intel. And Anya thinks, it's always straight to work with Papa. But Becky thinks, you know who I am. He's always known. How's your father been? I understand he's restructuring the business. That must keep be keeping him busy. Oh, he is, but Daddy's so nice. He always makes time uh, to play with me on his days off. He told me to see a movie just the other day. The next time I'd rather go with you. Oh, yeah? What did you see? Did you go to that theater at the riverfront? There are some wonderful restaurants in the area. He's thinking, there's always value in learning what a CEO likes to do outside of the office, not to mention where and when. Is he actually trying to figure out what sort of things I like, Becky thinks? Uh, he's even asking about restaurants. Is he going to ask me out? Oh, um, it was a romance. Oh, sounds like you two are close. You go out as family often. Do you and your father play together at home, too? I've seen no evidence that Black Belt Heavy Industries involved in planning the war. But the more I learn, the better I'll be able to envision the future. Uh, Daddy likes to play chess. I don't really understand it, but I play with him sometimes. And, um, he's so curious to learn about me and my family. Is he that serious about me? Is my Lloyd trying to envision our future together? <laughs> and Anya, acting as the audience surrogate, says, thinks to herself, this is kind of fun. <laughs> but then you arise with Bon. She says, oh, look who's here. It's a pleasure to see you, Becky. And now she appears. The last boss. And Anya's thinking, world-class chef. World-class chef. <laughs> and just when my Lloyd was about to make his move, and she curtsies and says, hello, Mrs. Forger. And yours says, aren't you the cutest? Look, Becky, this is our dog, Bon. But Becky's ignoring this. I was on the verge of winning my Lloyd's heart. I just know it. Now I need to finish the job. It's time to give it all I've got. I use every last trick I've learned from my TV dramas. But then yours says, oh, Lloyd, I brought in ingredients for tonight's dinner. Playing the housewife card, is she? Bad move. You'll never steal away my Lloyd's heart with that. And Anya thinks, uh, Mama and Papa are already married. Remember what Jonathan said on Berlinton Love? Even a married man yearns for the companionship of a woman. She takes off her little scrunchie, weighs her hair, and Lloyd kind of looks at her like, okay. She says, huh, that wasn't a reaction I was looking for. Did it not flood my eyelashes enough? But Tommy always says it drives him wild when girls tie and untie their hair. And George says, I know how excited you were to meet Lloyd, Becky. How wonderful that you two finally got the chance. And she says, I brewed you all tea. Why don't you sit down with the girls, Lloyd? I know it would mean a lot to Becky. And Becky's freaking out. A lifeline for my nemesis? What is Mrs. Forger playing at? No, she's conceding because of my hair attack. This is your chance, Becky. Get back in there and win him over. Um, Lloyd, about what you were asking earlier, are you interested in my family? I says, oh, no, not at all. Just making conversation. He's thinking, oh, she's only a child. Maybe she shouldn't have pushed so hard. What? You've been, you've just been playing with me this whole time? <laughs> he spits out the tea. He says, whatever do you mean? 
and George smiling says, Oh, how sweet. Lloyd must have played with Becky while I was out. He's so kind. <laughs> Look at that smug grin on his wife's face. She's so sure she has me beat. She really blocked every path under my Lloyd's heart. I have only one hope left. The dirty trick to Penelope used on Tommy. And I'm just thinking, so no chef, huh? <laughs> oh, I feel so tipsy. I must be drunk. <laughs> she falls on the Lloyd's shoulder. And he's thinking, uh, that's black tea. The last-ditch tactic that no man in Melinton love can resist. Are you ready, Mrs. Forger? Because one way or another, it ends right here. And you're is freaking out. And she says, this can't be. Then I somehow pour alcohol into a child's drink. What do I do now? <laughs> Lloyd says, it's just tea. Maybe the leaves were left out to ferment for too long. A hospital. I need to get to a hospital. And she grabs Becky and runs away. <laughs> How do you feel? Do you need to throw up? I'm fine, I'm fine, so put me down. Acute alcohol poisoning is nothing to make light of, Becky. But I'm telling you why. She runs to the street. Uh, she gets hit by a car. <laughs> she throws Becky out of the way to safety. And then she tucks and rolls and lands perfectly, catches Becky. And she's starting to bleed. But which clinic should we go to? <laughs> Becky looks up at her and says, Better make it in the emergency room. <laughs> well, it's okay, Becky. We're almost there. Just stay with me. Try to stay awake or you'll die. I don't think that's how it works. Seriously, Mrs. Forger, stop. Listen, the truth is, I wanted Lloyd to go out with me, so I made up the whole thing. And your stop says, well, what? I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. And yours says, oh, I'm so glad you're okay. Can you stand? He says, you aren't mad at me? Why would I be? You aren't sick, after all. I mean about Lloyd. <laughs> it makes me happy to know that Lloyd is beloved by so many people. He really is a fine man. <laughs> wow, I've never met anyone so open-minded. So it's okay if we have an affair? Really, I should apologize for jumping to conclusions. Now I've dragged you all the way out here, but it was my fault. Honestly, it's a wonder Lloyd puts up with a dunce like me. But, but Lloyd chose to spend his life with you. How did you manage to pierce his heart? Tell me! And George says, I would never do that. Lloyd could get hurt, and there are better ways to get the job done. <laughs> As for why Lloyd chose me, uh, well, uh, because I agreed to post his on his mother for an admissions interview, but I can't tell her that. My memory's a little hazy, but there's something you told me once that stayed with me. You're strong, you're. That's the reason? Strong women? That's been my Lloyd's type all along? Mrs. Forger certainly is incredibly strong, not to mention tough. And we see Lloyd and uh, Anya have caught up with them. Said, Becky, you forgot your purse? My Lloyd cares so much about me that he came chasing after us. Strength, huh? Well, then I need to find some way to make him think I'm strong, too. There has to be something. And she sees one of those uh, little, uh, what you call them? Uh, test your strength is what it says on here. There's an actual name for them. We hit the the thing with the hammer. It causes it to hit the bell. Whatever that is. He says, oh, I'm suddenly in the mood to hit something with a large hammer. <laughs> Lloyd thinks, that's a mood? Privileged children are so strange. Let me try this, sir. You got money to pay for it, miss? And pays him. Says, uh, with more money than he needs. Says, here goes. And she collapses because <laughs> she's a, a child. I'm not strong. He'll never love a woman as weak as me. Your sister Becky, are you okay? Says, no, I'll never get Lloyd to look at me twice. And Yor looks up and says, hmm, you must have wanted to win the grand prize, prize as a gift for Lloyd, which is super ear cleaners. He says, do you mind if I give it a try? And then one-handed, she smashes everything. He says, first prize, first prize. She says, oops, I should have held back more. And Becky goes, what strength. And Lloyd <laughs> has a blank expression in his face. She goes, look at the way Lloyd is staring at her. So it's really true? My Lloyd likes his women strong? 
And you watch this. Uh, it's not what you think, Lloyd. I, I apprenticed for a blacksmith when I was young. <laughs> Just look at his dilated pupils. He's completely transfixed by her. She then bows down and says, Mrs. Forger, I can't possibly compete with you. She's a perfect woman, as open-hearted as the sky above, and as mighty as the earth below. She says, Take me under your wing and teach me. I want to learn to be strong like you. And yours says, You want to be like me? Uh, okay, we can do some training together. Yes, ma'am. And Becky thinks, then one day, Lloyd really will be mine. And her servant has appeared again. It's Madam Becky, I'm here to take you home. And then she sees that Becky has tied her hair like yours, and they're now practicing punching together. She says, no, Becky, you need to put your hips into it. <laughs> and the last, last panel is Anya thinking, on second thought, I think Mama's more fun. <laughs> oh, what a great chapter to end on. How can you not love Spy Family? <clears throat> Excellent. Okay, so, uh, this is the end of the podcast today. So, we are the Starving Writers Guild. We are writers helping other writers. You can find our works at starvingwritersguild.com if you'd like to make contact with us there as well. Uh, let's see. You can also find our stuff on Amazon. We are MC Ashley, John Transylvania, and Barbara Page. Let's see what else. Oh, uh, you can also do us a big favor. Uh, it's been so long since I had to do this. I'm out of practice. And again, I never really was. <laughs> uh, do us a big favor by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and I believe Spotify is uh, letting those happen right now as well. So <clears throat> uh, thank you for that. It'll be extremely helpful to us. So until next time, see ya. <laughs>